Praise the Lord. Good to have you all today at the Healing School. You know, sometimes uh, we have uh, uh, a big healing school and sometimes we have a little one. <clears throat> but we, we come every second Saturday of every month and just do what God tells us to do. You know, so. And sometimes we start out like this and by the time we get 30 minutes or an hour into it, we've got twice as many here, you know. So we never know what God's going to do, you know. He just does what He wants to do. So praise the Lord. I can tell you right now, we've been praying and interceding all week long for the people to come tonight or today that the Lord is going to touch. Amen. We've been praying all week long for those of you that are here. Yeah, he's got something in store for you. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the King. The Lord. He is an awesome and mighty God. You know, I just wished everybody knew him, you know, like we know him. Uh, but, you know, he's a, he, is, he, is a, he is the Lord that promised to save us if we'll call upon his name. You know, and I think about how many people today that don't know Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? You know, that the multitudes of people, and in fact, every one of you uh, have either probably got loved ones or spouses or, uh, you know, children or whatever, that uh, you want them to know Jesus, and they don't want nothing to do with Him. You know, they want to do something else. And so, what a shame that the enemy has blinded their minds like that, but praise God, you can do something about it. You know, you can go to the throne of grace. I have seen many people that nobody could get through to them or didn't think they could, but they'd never learned how to go to the throne of grace, the third heaven. <clears throat> and uh, I've got a teaching back there on the third heaven. If you haven't listened to it, you need to learn how to go to the third heaven. You know, and of course, I was listening to a great man of God years ago. Uh, actually, I was reading a book, and somebody asked him, said, you know, this impossible chore. How did you get that done? And he just made a little simple statement. He said, I had to go to heaven to get that one done. And I thought, what does he mean he had to go to heaven to get that done? So I began to really seek the Lord. Lord, what does this man of God, this son of yours, what does he mean when he said he had to go to heaven to get this done? And of course, as I began to study the Word, and ask that question. You know, if you seek God about anything, He will reveal it to you. He'll give you the answer. <clears throat> but you've got to diligently seek Him. You know, you can't just kind of say, well, Lord, I'd kind of like to know how that works. And, Lord, let me read a, one chapter, then let me turn on a football game this afternoon, and then you spend four hours watching a football game and ten minutes with God. You ain't going to get much from the king. <clears throat> and that's what too many people do today. But as I begin to seek Him, He begins to reveal to me that technically I was already seated with him in the third heaven. See, I'm already there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 clearly says we're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. So you've got to get a hold of the fact of who you are in Christ. And, of course, out of all this study, I had, I'd done the studies on who you are in Christ. As I began to learn these, I didn't know who I was in Christ. I didn't know what I could do as a son of God. I didn't know all these great and awesome promises belonged to me. But as I began to learn those, then I learned that I could do what God said in His Word. In fact, that's why He wrote me the book, to teach me how to do these things. And so, when I began to go to the throne of grace, realizing that as a son of God, 
I had all power and all authority over the enemy. <clears throat> it's wonderful to know uh, that when you're a veteran in the military, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I was in the Air Force. Of course, I didn't fly fighters in the Air Force, but I worked on them. But, you know, we had a, a group of guys that would we'd get loaded up in our squadron and we'd put the bombs on the airplanes, the rockets and everything else. And if they were going to fly out there to shoot down an enemy and all he had was a little old uh, handgun or something, they wasn't too afraid of that guy. You know, those fighters, was you were no match for a fighter that flew at supersonic speeds with a few little hand weapons. You had to have some very sophisticated weapons to knock one of them guys out of the sky. Well, that's kind of the way it is with you and me today when you learn who you are in Christ. You learn that you have been given these supernatural, powerful weapons from God in the spirit realm that you can defeat the enemy with. Unfortunately, we don't use them very well. Most of us are like I was most of my life. I didn't know I had these weapons. And so now I'm learning about these weapons. And, of course, through a lot of these uh, I've learned about a lot of these weapons through my trials and tests. You know, I mean, I read the Word, study the Word, and I see what becomes available to me, and they're so powerful. You know, you ask people, you know, when you see things. And, in fact, uh, you know, I was thinking about one of the Scriptures here. <clears throat> let, me, let me just turn over to the Scriptures in Matthew 17. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, as we go through your word today, I ask you to bless us. I ask you to speak out of my mouth. I ask you to take total control of this meeting. I ask you to be in total control of every one of our lives here. We're here today because we love you. We want to know more about you. We want to increase our knowledge of your word and your mighty, awesome, supernatural promises that you've given to us. And Lord, how to walk in them and how to work in them and how to get prayers answered and how to walk in divine health. And, Father, I want to thank you and praise you for your book, for showing us these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 17. And I want to show you some of these promises. In fact, I was just telling somebody here a while ago that I, the Lord's really been laying on my heart uh, to change the title of my healing schools to a new name, uh, I'm, very shortly I am going to do this. I'm not going to teach a healing school any longer. Uh, I'm going to teach you how to walk in the power of the promises of God's Word. That's what we're going to title it. A lot of people are turned off by healing, but everybody is interested in how to walk in the power of the promises of God's mighty Word. So that's what God's laying on my heart to change the title and so I want to show you something. <clears throat> I had a, uh, I won't talk about, I won't even call the name of the denomination because it makes no difference. But this man was a member of a, a denomination that very strongly opposes all the healing of God's Word. And so he had got a hold, he's a deacon in this church, and he was meeting with some of the elders in that church and the pastor. And they had some people that were sick, and so he'd been listening to my stuff for about a year, him, him and his wife. And they'd already seen God answer some of their prayers very significantly since they started doing it God's way. And so 
they had a person that was sick in their church, and he made a statement for us at this meeting. You know, why don't we take God's promises and teach them to this man that's sick, and why don't we pray over them and let the Lord heal them? And the pastor made a statement like this. If you believe God still heals today, why don't you go out there with me and we'll lay hands on my pickup where I've got that dent in it. We'll pray over it and the dent will be fixed. <coughs> that was the pastor. He said, I didn't know what to say. I said, well, it's a good thing I wasn't there. I would have known what to say. I said, see, now I said, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing that you could tell him. Well, do you believe this book is real? And, well, of course, I almost going to have to say, if he's a pastor, if he's teaching out this book, that he believes God's Word, right? You say, well, you know, God made a provision to get that bit fixed if you have that kind of faith. Now, let me show you where it's at. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. Now, of course, the number, uh, let's start a little bit up above that. Let's, let's go down and verse 15, go up to verse 15. And he said, this man said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic, and he's sore vexed, for oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water. Now, we know what that is. That's uh, epilepsy. You know, we see this all the time. I've seen many epileptic people healed. You know, I mean, I've had several of them come back uh, a year, two years later that's never had an epileptic seizure. And then I have some of them that get healed, and then within six months or a year, they get back into their sin, and their epileptic seizures come back. You know, that's what's so devastating to think that we come down under this because of sin, and we don't see that either. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, he wanted this boy to heal. And he says, and I brought him unto your disciples, and they could not cure him. Now then, that's us. Uh, they bring them to us, and we have so little faith that most of us today in the church, or like I was for many years of my life, I didn't even have the faith to pray for somebody for healing. I mean, if somebody had a child that uh, had an epileptic seizure in church, I mean, we might try to help hold them down, but we'd call 911 and have the doctors come. You know, we didn't know what to do to them. We didn't know that was a demon. We had no idea. But sitting right over here uh, a few years ago, I had a, I think he was 16 years old, a young man on Sunday. We had a full church, and there was a, we were singing, worshiping, and praising. And all of a sudden, the young man went into a convulsion right there. I mean, he knocked chairs down and pushed people. He fell onto his back, and he was trying to swallow his tongue, and when I saw him going down, when I heard the noise, I t turned around to look because I was standing here singing with everybody else. And I heard this noise, and I turned around, and I saw this commotion back there. So, of course, the singing stopped, and I ran around there and began, when I saw what it was, I knew he had a demon. So I began to rebuke the demon, hit him in the chest, command the demon to come out of him. And as I'm commanding the demon to come out, <clears throat> finally the song leader up here, he said, you know, let's just start worshiping and praising. Let Thurman take care of that. We'll continue to worship and praise. And so the congregation went back to worship and praise. And by them worshiping and praising the Lord and singing to the Lord, it only took about five minutes. And the demon came out of the boy, and his life was changed. And as far as I know, and I've contacted them several times since then, the boy's never had another epileptic seizure since that day. Now, see, we have power over these spirits. But 
These boys, Jesus' own disciples, which he had empowered to cast out these demons, couldn't cast out the demon. And it says, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. See, that's where the, today is so sad that so few people will even come to a church to ask for healing. We go to a hospital. You know, we go to a doctor. We don't even think about coming to Jesus. I mean, we just don't think about it. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, O oh, you faithless and perverse bunch. The king wasn't too nice to them, was he? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. You think he wanted the boy healed? Sure he did. <clears throat> he had empowered his men to do it, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus rebuked the devil. What did Jesus do? He rebuked a devil, a spirit. That's what was in this boy, an epileptic demon. And he departed out of him, and the child was cured that very hour. And it says, Then came the disciples of Jesus off to the side, and they said, Lord, why could we not cast him out? Well, that ought to be a very good question. We ought to ask the Lord. You know, if they couldn't, and they asked him, why could we not cast out this demon? Look what Jesus' answer was. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. So if they couldn't do it because of their unbelief, guess what our problem is? It's unbelief. Absolutely. And for verily I say unto you, if, big word, isn't it? If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. I mean, that's not very much, though, is it? That's a little bitty tiny seed. You shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and only a few things shall be impossible for you. Oh, oh that's not what it said. Well, what did the king say would be impossible with you? Well, now, don't you think we need to start getting a hold of these promises and believing that it's him in you and whenever you get a hold of the fact, Christ in you, the hope of glory, it's not you that's doing it anyway, but it's by faith in the name of Him who lives in you. And so when you see yourself, you've got to see yourself and identify yourself with Christ. Because somebody says, oh God, please go with us this week. Please don't leave us. They get through praying their prayer and said, you know, you wasted your whole breath. You, know, you might as well have not said anything. He said, what do you mean? I said, it already says in Matthew 28, I will never forsake you or never leave you. You walk holy in obedience to my word, I will be in you. You endure to the end and you walk in faith and love and I will be in there forever. You can't get rid of me. Is that a good place to be? Yeah. Knowing that the king is in you. Well, I don't want to get rid of him, do you, young lady? I want him to stay. So, if I walk in obedience to his word, and if I can have faith, if, big word, isn't it? If you have faith, just as tiny as a grain of mustard seed, you can say, you shall say unto this mountain, or that mountain, what was that mountain? What was the mountain he was dealing with? An epileptic demon, a devil. He said, you can say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible with you. 
But he says, here's something that we don't want to do it. <clears throat> so he says, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Now then, I mean, for the first many years, when I first got a hold of that one day, I thought, maybe that must be what's wrong with us in the church I was raised up in. Because any time we had an event, they always said, you ladies bring your favorite finger food, desserts. I thought they, that must have meant feasting. They must have left out to eat. <laughs> we feasted extremely well in church. But fasting... <clears throat> You know how many fasting deals I went through in the church I was raised up in? That's right, zero. I never heard it preached on in my entire life. <clears throat> never. And so, I asked a question here a while back to a group I was teaching. The group was three times as big as this one. I said, how many of you have ever fasted? <clears throat> one woman held up her hand. One. I said, ma'am, you're the only one. You're in a, a very small number in a group this big. I said, what's the longest fast you've ever done? Well, she said, I only fasted once. I said, how long? She says, one day. She had fasted one day, missed three meals in her whole life. But now, before you condemn this woman, some of you probably have never fasted a single day in your life. They're probably, I won't ask you, but if you had asked me that question a few years ago, I could have said, I never fasted. I didn't know you were supposed to fast. But I had zero power with God. I had never seen a direct answer to prayer. I'd certainly never seen a miracle. I'd never seen a healing. I'd never cast out a demon. Didn't even know demons lived. I mean, I'd read about them in the Bible, but they weren't real to me. I mean, you know, that happened in Africa or something, you know, no demon could live in America. You know, we're civilized over here. Yeah, believe me. And more demons in the church. I mean, you, you think about, you know, back in those days you'd see a movie about Africa. And I'm sure they saw movies about us in Texas, you know, with horses and guns. And they thought everybody lived like that over here. You know, thought that we rode around the streets and horses with our six guns on our hips and all this kind of stuff. You know, because you saw movies like that. Well, I mean, when I was a kid, I saw movies in Africa, you know, and they had people in the bush who didn't wear no clothes, and they used spears and all this kind of stuff. So I thought everybody in Africa was like that, you know. When I got a little older, I found out, hey, <laughs> that's just as wild as the movies they make about us as Texas, you know. <clears throat> well, like a lot of people in Texas have never ridden a horse, you know. I mean, never. You know, so it, you kind of get a messed up uh, idea of how people live in different places. So when you read the Word of God, you think, well, those people that lived under those wild jungles and stuff like that, uh, in witchcraft, that must be where all these demons are. We couldn't possibly have demons here in America. You know, and then, of course, I, when I begin to read the book, and I learned a little about demons, then I begin to wonder, could I have one? <laughs> you know, that's kind of a scary thing, you know, thinking, you have a demon? Of course, so you, you go to all your pastors and your PhDs and you ask them that question. And their answer was always, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, you know, 
you're a Christian, you know, you have the Holy Ghost living in there, there's no way you could have a demon. That was very comforting, but there's something in me that said that's not true. So I now know that was God. So finally, after I began to go to the Lord, I said, Lord, i got to know, <clears throat> is it possible for me, one of your sons, to have a demon? Well, I asked him that question, and one night he spoke to me when I was reading the Word, and I came to that promise in Luke chapter 13, verse 11, where the woman that had been bound over for 18 years could no wise straighten herself up, had a spirit of infirmity living inside her body. Now, this was a woman, and she was in Israel at the time, and her body was all bowed over. She could not straighten up under no conditions. And the Scripture says she had a spirit of infirmity that bound her like that. Now, let me tell you, this is hard for us to stomach as intelligent human beings that an invisible being can move into our bodies and take control of it due to sin and that they can bend us over and we can't straighten up because we've got a spirit in there. I mean, is that hard for you to grasp? <clears throat> I don't know what we've done with some Kleenex. I mean, we've got a box of Kleenex anywhere? I'm, go I'm probably going to have to have one before it's all over. <clears throat> but anyway, you think about how these demons affect us in the Scripture. So when you begin to look at the examples Jesus had with the demons and how that when he cast out demons, how people got delivered, how they got healed. Here is a woman, you know, that can't, been, can't straighten up. Now, how would you feel if for 18 years you'd been bent over like that? Well, then that, that has, there's two things that comes to mind. Number one, how come this woman had the misfortune to get this demon? I mean, if we got two ladies right here, how come this one got it and this one didn't get it? You ever stop to think about that? You know? Or you go to a home and say, well, the man is sick all the time, but the woman is never sick. Why? I thought that was a reasonable question to be asked. Why is it that we get sick? You know? <clears throat> well, I teach something that is very hard, and of course God holds me accountable just like He does you, and there's no two ways about it. But faith and love is the two things that God demands of His children. And most of us don't have very much of either one. You know, we totally don't understand Him. So when I learned about fasting in the Word, and when I learned about demons, Jesus rebuked a spirit here in Matthew 17. And a little boy that was bound, and it says that sometimes he was normal. But at other times, this thing would take hold of him and try to throw him into the water to drown him. Other times, it would try to throw him into the fire to kill him. How would you like to have a spirit like that living in your body? <clears throat> Makes you wonder how a little boy got this thing. Thank you, sir. Makes you wonder how a little boy got this demon. How he could be so lucky or so unfortunate that he was the one that got a demon. Why was the little boy born in the next house down? Why did he not have this? You know, to me, those, those questions bothered me. 
you know, why are some people sick and some others are not? You know, some go through life. You know, so it really bothered me. And so I wanted to know. So I began to get into Scripture. And I learned one thing when I couldn't get people healed or delivered. I went to the Lord and asked him, why can I not do this since you said I can do this? <clears throat> and he took me to scriptures like this. This kind, in other words, the Lord began, as he began to reveal to me the area of healing, he, sh- he opened the door real simple for me at first to pray the prayer of faith for people and to get people healed. I mean, it just, it, at first, it just became, it was so simple, so easy. I can remember back when God spoke to me when I was in my Baptist church serving as a deacon and a Sunday school teacher. I was studying all these things. I was spending hours and hours and hours every week with the Lord. And I'm seeing things and I'm, I'm not being taught these things in my church, that's for sure. But they're in the Word of God. And I'm wondering why. And so the Lord is revealing Himself to me. And then finally one day, He came to me one Friday night. And he spoke to me. I was sitting there studying the Word of God. And he spoke to me in a voice just as clear as I can hear mine right now. He said, Son, I have trained you where I want you to be. He said, I want you to lay down your Southern Baptist teaching information. And I want you to start teaching just my Word and what I've taught you in your Sunday school class. I looked up at him. I said, Lord... If I start teaching what you've shown me in my Sunday school class in the Baptist church, these people are going to think I've absolutely lost my mind. I said, Lord, I have never heard these kind of things taught in a Baptist church. And I've been there all my life. And you know it. He said, this is what I want you to do. I said, Lord, I'll do it. I don't know what you, I don't know what you have. I don't know what you have. I don't know your plans. But last time I checked, he's God and he's the boss. And I got a feeling next time I check, he'll still be the boss, don't you? <laughs> so if the king tells you to do something, if you want to live. Now, I wanted to live. I mean, I, that's another part of God that I didn't see for a long time. That if you don't do what he tells you, he'll just kill you. He'll take you out. You know, a lot of people don't believe that. But let me tell you, he holds the strings to life and death. And he can cut them off in a heartbeat. You know, I've seen, I've seen him do it. Well, since then, I've had many experiences with God. And so, he's, he's merciful, I will say that. And if he wasn't, brother, I know one old boy wouldn't be here. You, you know another one probably right there, right too? If he wasn't a merciful God, elders that are holding his hand up to God, if you wasn't merciful, I know I wouldn't be here. You know, but that's us. If, if we were not, if God was not merciful to us and give us chance after chance after chance, none of us would be here. Not not one single one of us. If he only gave us 10 or 20 chances, probably it wouldn't be a single one of us here. You know, I mean, he just gave us chance after chance. He, gave, he forgave us, and he, he showed his love and his mercy to us. And that's where, that's where we got to be, you know, so wonderfully tied into him and so thankful to him that he is such a loving and merciful and kind and gentle God. Because if he was not that, well, forget it. But anyway, as I'm trying to learn how to do this stuff, uh, the Lord is revealing to me slowly but surely that I've got to get into fasting. Well, as I'm trying to think about fasting, he tells me, said, I want you to start teaching what you've learned in your Baptist church. And so I started teaching it. 
But I told him, I said, now, Lord, you are going to have to confirm what I teach with signs and miracles and wonders. Because if you don't, they're going to know I've lost my mind. And if I teach that you're a God that, that delivers people from demons, you know, Lord, we ain't never heard of a demon in my Baptist church. You know, now I know that a bunch of the people there got them, but <laughs> I was one of them. You know, I had them too. I didn't know it, so. But now I know that we probably all have demons and we don't know it. You know, we don't like to think about that, but we probably, every one of us, has a demon living in our body. Some of us have many, but although we don't like to acknowledge that, but it's probably true. Probably true. Because I know I had them. <clears throat> but anyway, as I started teaching the Word of God and that Jesus was a healer and that He would answer these great and awesome promises. I mean, you, you, you think, you go from Matthew chapter 17, you go to Matthew chapter 18 <clears throat> and look at verse 17, or verse 18, Matthew 18, 18. And when I begin to teach this, <clears throat> I had people that after I'd read this, 18 and 19, Verily, I say unto you. Now, in my Bible, this isn't red. Is it red in yours? So what does that mean, brother? I mean, the king himself talking. This is a big boy, right? I mean, this is a big boy. Now, you know, if I was talking to you, you can kind of, you know, okay, Thurman, you know, maybe you know what you're talking about, maybe you don't. But if the king is talking, you better listen to the king. And since, I, like I said, since I was just reading a while ago in the Word of God, it says, and the complete universe is as a dewdrop in your hand. I think, oh God. Oh God. I mean, I can't even fathom the universe, folks. I can't even fathom our, our little galaxy, much less the universe. You know? I mean, I cannot grasp the fact that right now, we are spinning at 1,003 miles an hour, you know, and it don't slow down. I mean, tomorrow, it's, the day's going to be 24 hours and zero seconds, just like today was, and the next one's going to be 24 hours and zero seconds. This beautiful ball is spinning at 1,003 miles an hour to do that. And then, of course, when God gives it that little spin out there, you know, it's been doing this for at least 6,000 years that we know of, you know. And I had never seen a top that I could spin, and it spin more just a few minutes. You know, the thing will stop. But this one's still going. And then when he gave it that little spin, he said, well, let me give her a little sling. And he backed off out there and says, Whew! Give it a little shot through space. He said, now then, I've got to have it exactly 96 million miles away from the sun so it will stay. And I've got to send it exactly the right speed forward so it will always be pulling so it'll always stay exactly 96 million miles away from the sun. Hey, that's beyond my imagination. You know, I'm just a pretty good-sized chunk of dirt he threw, you know what? Pretty good-sized one. Well, it only had to be spun about 70,000 miles an hour forward to make it stay 96 million miles away from the sun. Only about 70,000. I think it's 69,7 or something like that. You know, but that's pretty awesome, isn't it? That we're moving forward at 69,000, nearly 70,000 miles an hour forward. I mean, we do that every day. And, you know, you walk outside, there's not even a breeze blowing. You know, how can he do that? Beyond my wildest dreams, how he can do it. And then he didn't just stop there, did he? 
he thought, you know, I think I'll give this thing a little twist. That baseball, I've got a perfect shot on this baseball, and I'm going to give it a twist like they ain't never seen. And he put it so that it twists in its orbit as it goes around so we get four seasons perfect every year. Isn't that awesome? Summer, winter, fall, and spring. And he did all that because he loves you. He gave that to you because he loves you. I can't even fathom that. Can you? No, I really can't. So we don't know God. We don't have a clue who he is. You know, but he wrote this book and he told us what we could do and what we're not supposed to do. And he, he will do exactly what he said in this book. But he is so wildly beyond our imagination of who he is. <clears throat> we read the book and we just kind of ho-hum, throw it off to the side. You know, wasn't it nice that he said all those things? Yeah. But he don't mean those things. But look what he said. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth. Who? You. Whatsoever things you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever things you shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. You know, I've, I've quoted that since I've learned a little bit about that over the years. And I said, what do you think that means? And I've had numerous people, even with PhDs in my classes, say, I have no idea what that means. Well, that's why. We don't spend no time with God. Literally, literally, whatever you allow or don't allow on earth, it's up to you. In other words, what if you say, well, I'm going to sin today. You're going to bind that upon yourself. You just said that. I don't believe in Jesus. Okay, you're going to bind that upon yourself. What do you say? But I believe that Jesus is a King of kings and Lord of lords. You're going to loose that power upon yourself. I believe that the Holy Spirit's going to fill me today and God's going to use me mightily to do great things for His kingdom. He said, I'm going to loose that Holy Spirit right on you. He's going to use you mightily for your kingdom. I believe I can lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. He said, man, you're going to loose that up on yourself and it's going to happen. In other words, you say with that mouth, I believe I can do this, Lord. In other words, let's bring it down to a little bit more down to earth, you know. Things where we live. Some guy says, you know, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get me an education and I'm going to become a lawyer. That's the first thing you said, right? Now, you said that, but did you become a lawyer tomorrow? Not hardly. You went to school and studied and probably said that how many times in the next four or five years? What are you going to do? I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be the best one there is. Well, how much school do you got? Well, I only, I just started. I'm a month in it, but I'm going to be a lawyer one day. One day, five, six, seven, eight, ten years later, you know, you finally get out there and you get your first case. And you say, I'm going to be a lawyer. But 20 years later, you want the best they are. You beat cases. You've done all kinds of things. And how many times do you reckon you said that before you became that fantastic lawyer? There ain't no telling how many times you said it. What did you bind upon her? You bound that power upon you with your tongue. I'm going to be a lawyer. It could be anything. You could say, I'm going to be a housewife. I'm going to be the best housewife in the whole block. Not, no, not the best one in the whole block. I'm going to be the best one in my city. My husband is going to know I'm the best woman. There ain't going to be another one nowhere around as good as me. Because I'm going to do everything God does in his world. I'm going to be the best wife. And I'm going to just love him and do everything that God tells me to do. I mean, you're binding and loosing right there. And then look what he says. Again, I say to you that if two of you 
shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. It shall be done to them by my Father, which is in heaven. How many people in the church believe that mighty promise? Very few. Very few. Well, when I began to teach these things in my Sunday school class, there was a lady, <clears throat> listened to me one Sunday, and she listened to it three Sundays, and then she said, I've never heard these things taught in church. But she says they're in my Bible. But that's what makes it dangerous right there. You're teaching what the Word says, and not what you heard. Jesus is speaking, it's in red, and so they have, hmm, you know, said my mother is going in next Thursday for a scope. Uh, she's had ulcers for years. And they bleed and everything else. And I believe if you were to pray with me in prayer and agree with me that Jesus would heal my mother. He said he would. I said, well, he didn't say it. So I said, what's her name? She told me. I said, let's ask the Father in the name of Jesus to do a complete healing on your mother and remove all of her ulcers and make everything inside of her body like brand new. Now, see, now here, if you're going to pray, this is not the way to do it. Father, when she goes to the doctor... Help the doctors to find all the ulcers in her insides. That's not the way you want to pray, right? Now, if you have all the faith you got, you know, then pray that way. But I hope that's not the way you would pray. But you'd be amazed. I've heard a lot of people in church pray like that. I've had people come to a healing school. Lord, I've been diagnosed with one of three things, and the least of the three is lupus. So, Lord, please let me have lupus. But that's not the way you want to pray. But see, I've had people come here. That was their prayer when they got here. But when they left, that was not their prayer. That was not their prayer. And I've seen those people go away totally, completely healed. You know, but they, their confession were wrong. They were binding and loosing the wrong things. They didn't know what they were doing. But anyway, as I began to teach these things, I saw this woman come up and ask me to pray with her that her mother would be completely healed. And I prayed and agreed with And then we thanked the Lord. Well, see, he always says, thank me for everything. Is that what the king says? Don't do nothing. You know, I mean, <clears throat> if you're just a man, if you're just a man, and I mean, just a normal man. Here's a, I guess this is a man and wife up here, right? Y'all husband and wife. I mean, you know, if you do something nice for your wife, don't you like for her to say thank you? I do. You know, especially if I go out and do something really exceptionally, you know, and maybe it costs me a lot of money and a lot of time and anything else. And I do something I like for her to put her arm for me and say, honey, thank you. I so appreciate what you've done for me. But if you spend all that time and all that effort and you do it to her and she says, oh, okay. Just walks on by. You think, well, gee, maybe I don't, maybe I shouldn't do nothing for her no more, you know. You know, y'all know where I'm coming from? You know, so if you're that way and God made you in his image, you think maybe he might be the same way? Since he commands us all over the place, do everything with thanksgiving. Is that what he said? So, you ask him to do something, uh, heal this woman, and he would say, Lord, thank you that your promise here. And I didn't even know Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 at the time. I didn't know that all the promises of God are yes and amen every time. I didn't know that. So, I mean, I learned a lot over the years. But we pray <clears throat> and ask the Lord to... Take away all these ulcers in this woman. And we thanked him for doing it on Sunday. In a Sunday school class in a Baptist church. Very unique day in a Baptist church. The daughter and the mother.
was back in church on Sunday morning, the next Sunday morning. She said, I gotta meet you. I said, Why? She said, I'm so and so. I said, Oh, you're her mother. Yes. She said, Thursday I went in for a test. I've had ulcers, bleeding ulcers for years. My daughter told me, Mom, my Sunday school teacher and me, we prayed this morning, asked Jesus to heal you. And she said, I believe with all my heart when you go this Jesus made me the promise. I believe when you go to the doctor this next week on Thursday, there ain't going to be nothing wrong with you, Mom. Her confession is right. She's binding and loosing the right things. Her confession is proper. She goes in, they run the borescope down in there to do whatever they check, and her insides is like brand new. There's not a single ulcer, nothing, nowhere. And so Mama is awestruck that God would do something like this. So she wants to come to the Sunday school class and meet me. I told her, I said, man, if you miss knowing meeting me, you ain't missed much. But I said, if you miss knowing Jesus and his promises, you miss everything. Isn't that true? <clears throat> but how many people know these promises? Not a lot. And there's a whole lot less that believe what they read. And I was one of them. So, <clears throat> Lord, in the name of Jesus. I need the extra supernatural strength in my voice today to teach your word powerfully in the name of Jesus. So anyway, as we begin to pray these kind of things, people begin to see God answer these things. (coughs) So it wasn't very long. So this precious young man that's sitting back there on the camera, he was at the, he's 23, I think, now. But at the time, Philip was 11. He was a little boy. And his mother and dad was in my Sunday school class. And they came to me and said, Thurman, I remember both of what his mom and dad both said that day when they called me. Said, She said, I've been in, in and out of church for 20 years. And said, I've never heard the Bible talk like you teach it. And her husband said, well, I've been out of church a whole lot less than she has. But he said, I have still never heard it preached like you teach it. So he said, we need a miracle. I said, well, what do you need? And they said, our son, Philip, he's got warts and scars all over his body, and we want those removed. See, they had taken him to the doctor. The doctors had burned off the warts on the top of one hand. I think it was the right hand. Anyway, one of his hands, and it left big old scars where they burned them off. But the warts came back in the scars. <clears throat> so he had a real problem. He didn't have a few warts. He had them everywhere. Had them, I remember when Philip closed his eyes, he had a full row of warts all across his eyelids. Had them in his eyebrows, up, had them off up in his nose. He had them all over his mouth. You know, he had them under his neck. He had them in his hands, under his fingernails, you know, on the backs of his head. He had them all over his body, hundreds of them, big ones. They'd been to the doctors. They'd tried everything. His grandmother was an RN. She worked in one of the hospitals. But they couldn't. They tried everything. Nothing worked. So they found a man of God that believed the Word of God. <clears throat> Isn't it a shame that there's so few people believe these promises? But anyway, I told them all we need to do is get all their sins repented of. And we need to build their faith. When Philip looked at me, this little 11-year-old boy sat there. He said, Mr. Scrivener... I hate these warts because all the kids at school call me warty, and I hate it. Well, I know that. 
And I told him, I said, son, there's something you've got to learn about God. God is a faith God. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You know that? Now then, brother, this woman sitting beside you, if she never done anything to please you, nothing, wouldn't that be sad? See, there's a lot of women like that out there. There's a lot of husbands like that. They never do anything to please their mates, and they wonder why their life's hell at home instead of where it's supposed to be. Or at work, your boss tells you to do something, you say, ah, you don't know what he's talking about, I'm going to do it my way. <clears throat> and you can get by with that one once or twice. But your boss don't love you as much as your mate does. So usually after two or three mess-ups, the boss finds some reason to kick you out the door, right? Now, if you do what he says, and like he wants it, and you do it fast and efficiently, man, you can become one of the best employees he's got, right? He'll do anything for you as long as you do it right and his way. So, that's the way it is with God. And I told Philip, I said, God is a faith God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. I said, He's made the provisions to take these warts and scars off your body. But if you don't find it, He'll let you go to your grave with those warts and scars. You see, that happens to lots of us. We take our pains, our sickness, our disease to our deathbed whenever there was a provision to get rid of them. But most people don't know it. I mean, it's right here in the book. Jesus gave you an awesome promise there, didn't He? He said, how many of you had to pray this prayer in Matthew 18, 19? Two. Is that one? Is that your wife? And your how many? Last time I, when I went to school, that's two, right? And then there was only one other criteria. What was it? Huh? Agree, and then what? Well, no, there was another one. There was another thing. Where did you have to be? Oh, had to be where? On earth. Now, you know, you know, maybe I look into a little more detail than the average person, but I would think, now, God, why would you limit my power to the earth? You ever stop think about that? Why did he put that detail in there? See, God don't ever do nothing haphazardly. He don't just speak words. When he speaks, there's power in his words. There's meaning in his words. God, he made us in his image and his likeness, and when he spoke, the world came into existence, didn't it? And then when he spoke, the stars came into existence. Where's the limitation to his speaking? There is none, is there? I mean, he can speak in the cosmos. He can speak it anywhere. And it happens. If God said it, bam. You know, if everything out there was red, and God said, I want everything that's red to be turned to blue. So everything's blue. Guess what would happen? It turned to blue. Guarantee it. You know, when he speaks it, it happens. He has no limitations. He created everything by faith, speaking, and it happened. So he said, I'm going to make me some people. I'm going to put them on the earth, and I'm going to limit their power to the earth. Now, what if he hadn't put that little phrase in there? Uh, two of you own earth. Oh, I mean, we could destroy the cosmos. You know that? We could have. We're doing a pretty good job anyway. You know, we're doing a pretty good job of messing things up with the power He gave us. And most of us don't even know the power He's given us. But anyway, we took this verse. And after I built Phil and his mom and dad, of course, his little sister was there too. She was a, she's three or four years, two or three or four years younger than he is. So she was sure was a little girl. She was probably seven or eight years old at the time. 
And he was 11. But I used that very verse right there. After I got their sins repented of, after I built their faith, two and a half or three hours I stayed at their home that afternoon, taught them the promises of God. And after I built their faith mountain high, I said, Jesus said right here, that if two of us on earth shall agree as touching anything, he'll do it. I mean, won't, won't that get it done? I mean, won't that, won't that take warts and scars off? And that depends on where your faith level's at. You know, I'd say, let's ask the Lord to take the warts off. They said, well, okay. I believe He might be able to take the warts off. I said, well, let's go a little further. Let's ask Him to take scars off. And the way He's determined, scars. I mean, give me a break. Please, that's where we live. You know, where is your faith level? If you have faith back over there in Matthew 17, what's impossible with you with faith? So if God didn't give us a limitation, why should we put one on ourselves? I mean, if God's not going to put a limitation on you and me and what we can do in faith, according to it is written, then why do we put a limitations on ourselves? But we do that. We do that all the time. So, <clears throat> I knelt and prayed the prayer of faith. For a little, I, got a, I got all the family. I asked them to get on their knees or in the center there of the floor in that little house they lived in. And I mean, we just knelt there on that floor before a righteous and holy God. And I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, according to your promise, I've taught these people what you told me to teach them. Now I'm asking you, Father, according to Matthew 18:19, to take Phil's warts and scars off of his body. May they never return. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, I want to thank you for doing it. Now, did he say I have to ask you in faith? Without faith, it's impossible. So we ask now, God, I don't know if it's your will or not. No, 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 no. Oh, you don't like that. You don't, if you don't like that, you think God likes that? No, I know He don't like that. <laughs> oh, God, we don't know what your will is here. But Lord, if it be your will, please, maybe if you could, if you got the power, could you possibly take at least some of, what, some of the scars off of Phil's body? No, 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 no. That's, no, he says, come and ask me what I will, what you will, and I'll do it for you if you ask me in faith. So, we asked, and then I thanked him for doing it, and then we stood up and his mother said, well, when are they going to come off? I said, no, that's the only thing God don't tell me is when. I said, they could come off immediately. <clears throat> I mean, he doesn't. There's nowhere in there. He tells you when he's going to answer the prayer. Now, he doesn't tell you if it's going to be right now. You know, he doesn't tell you if it's going to be five minutes from now or five weeks from now. He just says it's going to happen as long as you stay in faith and, and continue to worship him and praise him. It's going to happen unless you get out of faith. <clears throat> because if you don't, when I told her, I said, that's the only thing God doesn't tell me <clears throat> is when. But I said, I guarantee you, if you stay in faith with me with no doubt, they will come off shortly. Maybe a few days, maybe even a few weeks. But I said, I guarantee you, they will come off because Jesus made us a promise that he cannot lie. Amen. Didn't he? you got to have faith in your God to make a statement like that. See, now a lot of people have told me, Thurman, there ain't no way you can guarantee what God will do. <clears throat> I can guarantee exactly what He'll do, do exactly what He said in His Word. And He's not a wishy-washy God. Now then, you might ask me to do something, I might tell you I'm going to do it, and tell you I'm guarantee I'm going to do it, and it may take me three or four, five or six weeks to get it done. You know, or it might be six years before I get it done. And you may have to remind me six or eight times in that period of time for me to get it done. But... You know, I mean, are we like that? 
Sure. We all, we're human. We're men. You know, we, we get other things in front of us. But God, He don't ever forget nothing. He don't forget nothing. He's God. He's beyond our wildest dreams. <clears throat> but anyway, I said, I'm going to guarantee you something else, too. I said, when I walk out that door, there's going to be a demon come in here, and he's going to attack your man. He's going to say, now, you don't really think. Now, you don't, the devil wouldn't do nothing like that to a beautiful young lady like you would he. You don't really think just because you knelt her on that floor with your husband and prayed her prayer of faith that God is going to answer an old silly prayer like that. You know, you, know, I mean, you think of all the stupid things you and your husband have done that was wrong. You sinners, you. You don't think he's ever going to do nothing good for you. Now, you don't think the enemy would say something like that to you, do you? Yes, he will. You know he will, don't you, brother? But see, that's where you've got to know what your identity is with Christ. When that devil comes, you say, oh, yeah, devil. I used to be that unworthy sinner, but I'm a son of God now. I'm a joint heir with the king now, Lord. I mean, I mean, Lord, <clears throat> I mean, that devil. I'm capturing that thought. I'm casting that devil out. He can't do this to me in the name of Jesus. That's I'm capturing that thought. Lord, you said, I told her, I said, that when that thought comes to you, I said, don't even entertain the thought. I said, run back in. Don't open your mouth. Don't say nothing. Don't change your binding and loosing. I said, walk in. Get your Bible and pick it up. And open it up to Matthew 18 19. He said, Mr. Devil, I want to read you a statement from God's Word. Jesus said this. Again, I say unto you. And I said, that's me. That's the mama. That if two of you, and that was me and Thurman, my husband and my, my son and my little daughter. That's a whole lot more than two. And if you shall agree on earth, and we were all on earth, we were right here on the little floor, right here, and as, as touching anything, anything you said, and Lord, that includes Phil's warts and scars, that you'll do it for us. So Lord, it's done. Can't fail. Can't miss. I said, you've got to stay in faith with me like that. If the devil gets through to you, oh, he's not going to do that for you. I said, the minute you entertain that thought, that's it. It's over. I mean, you're thinking, you know, why why would God do something good like that for an old guy like me? <laughs> Lord, so what do you mean an old guy like you? Don't you believe when I cleaned you up, made you holy? What? how dare you call that unclean? I've cleaned. Don't you think? Can you imagine slapping the king in the face? I mean, when he cleaned you up, made you whole, made you the righteousness of God in Christ, now you're telling you you ain't worthy to stand in his presence. He said, what? You're telling me my son's not good enough? I mean, don't you think the king, that would offend the king? I know it would. I mean, my goodness, he sent his son to clean you up and make you holy and pay the price for you. You've got to believe what he did is good enough. And when you do that, it makes the king happy. When you say, Lord, I'm a son of God. I'm a joint heir with you, Lord. And I know you're living in me, and I, made, I know you made me the righteousness of God in Christ. So, Lord, I have all the privilege in the world to come into the throne room of God and ask you what I want as long as i got every sin repented of. And I have. And they've done that. So I told them, I said, stay in faith with me, and I guarantee you in a few days Phil will not have a wart or a scar on his body. You see, that's faith, isn't it? Yeah. That's faith. Amen. So I walked out of the house, walked across the street that Sunday afternoon, went to church. They lived right across the street from the Baptist church in Justin. The next morning, when Mama woke up, she went in to Phil. She raised up his hands and looked. And overnight, the warts on the ends of his fingers were gone. I mean, when 
a Baptist mother starts seeing the results of an answer to prayer. I mean, she becomes hysterically happy. Well, by three weeks, when she walked into my Sunday school class that third week, if you've ever seen a charismatic mother in a Baptist church, you ought to have been in my church that Sunday morning. Because his mother was charismatic that morning. She walked in praising God, screaming, sermon. I've never seen anything like this. Look, all the warts of old fellow's body, every one of them's gone. There's not a wart nowhere. But she said, the only thing left is these two big old scars. Guess what I said? Remember, binding and loosing. I said with my mouth, next week, he won't have any scars either. Keep believing God's Word. I didn't say, well, it's wonderful he took the warts off, but I don't know, maybe it wasn't his will to take the scars off. If I had have said that, that would have ended the miracle right there. But I didn't end it there. I stayed in the Word. I stayed in faith. I said, Mama, next Sunday when you come to church, Phil won't have any scars. Somebody said, you can't say those kind of things. Jesus said you can. I mean, who are we going to believe, brother? Hey, that's my, you're my kind of guy. You're my kind of guy. You know, if you're going to believe Jesus, that's the kind of guys I like to hang out with. You know, people are going to believe Jesus. Now, people are going to believe the world. I, I don't care. I, I don't care nothing about hanging out with you. You know, if all you want to talk about is the Cowboys, you know, or how bad it is or how mean people are to you and, and how bad your day went today at work and how you hate the boss you work for and all that kind of stuff. Forget it. I don't even want to be around you. You need me to be around you, but I don't want to be around you. But as a Christian, you need to be the Christian that's on fire. You need to be around these people. Because technically speaking, I'm around them all the time, every day. I minister to them everywhere all over this country. And so I know what it takes to stay in there with people. But it's easy to step off to the side. You know, what did Jesus say we could do here? What did He say we could ask Him for in Matthew 18, 19? Anything? Anything. Well, let me take you over to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to go over there. This book is full of statements that most of us have never read. And when we read them, we don't believe them. And, and that's even me. You know, I, I have a problem uh, believing all these promises and then acting on them every day. Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read... A verse to you in verse 14. Philippians 2.14. Do a few things without murmuring and complaining. What did it say? You mean God expects me to do everything without grumbling and complaining? Now, if this is a spiritual law, and it is, the Word of God is spirit and truth, but the whole Word of God is a spiritual law. If God tells you to do everything without grumbling and complaining, let me ask you why you folks grumble and complain so much. Oh, mate, y'all don't do that. Uh, That's what? It's It's always the other guy does it, right? (laughs) Well, I'm one of the others. 
I'm one of the others. In fact, we were out of town the other day, and uh, for several days up in uh, Flint, uh, not Flint, but uh, uh, Beulah, Michigan, teaching the Word. Now, I don't know if any of you ever been to Beulah, but let me tell you, it gets cold up there in the wintertime. And it snowed, I think, every day. And we got up every morning, had to go out and sweep the snow off of the car and clean it up and get it ready. And Ty or me, one, would take the snow shovel and go out and shovel our way out to the car, you know. And, of course, my lovely honey bunny, you know, she grumbled and complained about the snow. <laughs> and guess what she came home with? Something worse than this, you know. She was really down for about a week. And, you know, as she did, I prayed over her and I did everything. And she wasn't getting better in a hurry. I said, honey, you sinned. What'd you do? She said, I know I've sinned. I know what I did. I said, what'd you do? She said, I grumbled and complained about the snow. God ain't going to make you sick for grumbling and complaining about the snow. He wouldn't do that, would he? You think he will? You think he will? No, 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 no. That's not right. That statement you just made the first time you were right. God don't allow the devil to do nothing. Now, in some of my older teaching, you'll hear me say that, but I now learned that's not true. First of all, let me ask how many gods are there? One. Who's in control of the universe? That God, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. Who do you think the devil works for? Works for Jesus. Yeah, He defeated him 2,000 years ago, and the devil don't take a breath without Jesus saying, okay. I mean, he's God, right? He's a king. He walks among everything. He walks in hell. He walks in heaven. He walks on the earth. Everything is subject to him. Everything. Everything. He is God. Don't ever forget that. So if you have to say, I have no fear of God, you better straighten your act up. It's a good thing he's merciful and kind because he could take you out in a heartbeat. You know that? You know, every time somebody dies, God said, okay. Nobody dies without God's okay. Nobody. Nobody. He is in control. He is the king of kings. He says he watches over the death of his saints. It is appointed unto man wants to die. He's got a day. He's got a day for you and a day for me. He's got a day for you. Every one of us have a, have a date set. Now then, that's if we walk in obedience to His Word and do what He says. He may have 90 years or 120 years set for me. Or that for you. But, it depends on where you walk in sin. <clears throat> As you walk in sin, guess what the Word of God says sin does to your bodies? It brings forth death. Now, if the first time you sinned, it brought forth instant death... Yes, we wouldn't be here today. There wouldn't be none of us here, would we? But it's a good thing God's merciful. Because He's merciful, it's just like you with your children. When your children do something as they're growing up you really don't like, sometimes you'll tell them, now son, don't do that, or daughter, don't do that. You know, I don't want you to do this in my house, you know. I mean, I don't allow you to do these kind of things. And maybe you tell them once, twice, three times, four times, five times, ten times. But finally, what's going to happen? Discipline. You're right. One day you said, son, that's it. I've told you this ain't going to happen. I'm not going to put up with this. Now I'm going to take this board or this switch or whatever, and I'm going to wear your little backside out. And you do that, and they think, well, I, maybe that was just a once-in-a-lifetime deal. So they're going to put you to the test again, aren't they? All of you raised children, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And every time something new comes along, they'll put you to the test there. 
You know, that's just the way we're made. That's the sinful nature. And somewhere along the line, you'll tell your daughter or your son, now if you do this again, I'm going to get switched over to you again. You know? And so they said, Daddy don't mean what he says. He would never spank me, his little daughter. You know, I got him wrapped around my finger. Well, you may have him wrapped around your finger, but if you drive him to a certain point, you're going to find out that finger's going to, you know, and you're, whoa, you say, whoa, daddy does have some fire in him. He really meant what he said. Well, let me tell you, God is our daddy. And he's made a set of rules. And God don't allow the devil to do nothing. The devil does exactly what God tells him to do. That may be a hard for you to stomach. But I'm gonna, I can show you that in the Word, not in one place, many places. I can show you, I mean, I'd lived a life trying to listen to people explain it away when they said, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. They said, God didn't really harden his heart. You know, God allowed Pharaoh to harden his heart. And I said, but it says right here, God so hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it says right over here, Saul was, God would never send a demon to somebody. I said, it says right here, because of Saul's disobedience, an evil spirit from... You read that too, didn't you, brother? It's in the book. An evil spirit from God was sent to Saul to torment him because of his disobedience. Now, who's in control? God. So what's the big deal? You know, when you start reading the Bible exactly like it's written, everything begins to make sense. You understand now why people have the problems they have. Okay, just like my lovely honey buddy grumbled and complained up there in Michigan, uh, the other day came down with a really bad problem. Now, the, before I go to the next part of this Philippians chapter 2, I want to read a scripture to you out of the Catholic Bible. <clears throat> now, this book is not in our Bible, but it's in their Bible. And it's a very good book called The Book of Wisdom. There's a few more books in the Catholic Bible that's not in ours. But I want you to listen to this. In with the book of Wisdom, chapter 11. Anybody got a Catholic Bible? <clears throat> okay, pretty close. Okay, but in the Catholic Bible, it has the book of Wisdom in it. And this is the second example about how animals punish the Egyptians and benefit the Israelites. And listen to what it says here in verse 15. Chapter 11, verse 15. And in return for their senseless, wicked thoughts, which misled them into worshiping dumb serpents and worthless insects. Did they do that? Yes, they did. Because they did that, you, God, sent upon them swarms of dumb creatures and for vengeance that they might recognize, now listen to this closely, that they might recognize that a man is punished by the very thing through which he sins. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what the Lord says? A man or a woman is punished by the very thing through which he sins. Let me give you a few examples. Since Cheryl and I have been married, we have ministered to many men and women that were married. That some of them have been married a long time. And several of the men, or it could have been the woman, but in most cases it's always the man. The man has become impotent. 
He can't have sex. That's what that means. Now then, if you're a 40-year-old man or a 50-year-old man and you're impotent and you can't have sex, that's not exactly what your 40- or 50-year-old wife wants. She wants you to be able to fulfill her. That's why God made them. But you go back to these families and you check out and you find out that these couples, before they got married, they couldn't wait. They had sex before they got married. Maybe only six months, maybe only a year. But then, in fact, one of the families that we ministered to, they had gotten involved. <clears throat> They'd met each other. She was, his wife died, and he was a man of God. And she was a woman of God, but she was married to a husband that was meaner than the devil himself. And so she couldn't, and he was lost, and she couldn't stand the abuse, so she finally divorced him. When she divorced him, and the divorce was filed, she immediately ran into this other guy. And he was such a loving, kind, wonderful gentleman. She fell madly in love with this guy. Because she had never had a man treat her like a lady. This guy just immediately treated her like a lady. So they started going together, and immediately they fell in love with each other, and they wanted to get married. But her divorce is not final yet. So they can't. So, but they wanted to have sex together. He went to his pastor and said, Pastor, <coughs> I met this lovely lady. We want to have sex. We're going to get married. It's going to be about six months. Do you think it would be okay if we had a sexual relationship before we got married? The pastor said, yeah, it would be okay. Bad advice. You, you, know, you know more than that, don't you? Absolutely. But he, he, he wants, since his flesh wanted what that pastor said, guess what they did? Sure, they did it. They just moved in together. Started living as man and wife. Everything was great for six months. For six months after they got married, everything was great. And then all of a sudden, he became impotent. And he could not go there anymore. For 25 more years later, he had never had a relationship with his wife. Not one. It was like being married to a man 25 years. And he won't hold you in his arms. He won't kiss you. He won't do anything because he knows he can't go there. So he don't want to arouse you because he knows he can't do nothing. What did they send with? Their sexual organs. Who paid the price? Is what he paid with? His sex organs. What the Word of God say? You pay the price with whatever you send with. That's what they send with. How many women have I seen had sexual relations outside of wedlock or have a premarital relation or have sex with another man besides their husband when they get married and have a bad pap smear and they come down with cancer in their private parts? I've seen it over and over and over and over. The part that you sin with is what's attacked. And it's right there in the book of wisdom. Isn't that amazing? Now then, let's go a step further. Let's come down to reality. Only a couple of weeks ago, Cheryl come down with a throat problem. And she told me, she said, I know what I did. I grumbled and complained about the ice and snow. Well, let me tell you. I went out of town Sunday night to uh, Seattle. And come back Tuesday, and by the time I got back, I could hardly talk. I rebuked devils. I did everything. I realized, I said, God, you're God. I don't know what I've done, but I know that no curse. I've taught your word over and over and over. I know no curse comes upon me undeserved. I said, Lord, this is the first time I've had a problem like this in 20 years. I want to know what I did wrong. And you know what he said? Immediately. He said, I finally had it with your grumbling and complaining. 
I said, Lord, I don't grumble and complain. He said, oh, yeah, you pulled into the bank last week. And there was a guy over the line about six feet. He said, if that fool had parked in the right parking spot, I would not could park there. <laughs> now, I know none of y'all ever done that besides me. Have any of y'all ever been guilty of doing something like that? Oh, here's a brother. He'll hold his hand up over He knows he's just as dumb as I am. But see, who would dream that fuck that's grumbling? Or some guy cuts you off. And you say, you know, that idiot almost hit me. I know none of y'all ever said nothing like that, have you? You know? Or, you know, you don't say it out loud. Your wife's sitting in the car, so you don't want to say that idiot. So you just speak it internally, silently. You think God heard that? Yeah, He did. It speaks just as loud when you speak it to within yourself as it does if you spoke it out loud. You know, the Lord says, son, you have no idea how many things that you grumble about. You don't voice most of them, but that you're grumbling and complaining far too much. Okay, God. Okay. You got a question? Wait a minute. Let me get a mic so it can be on the tape. Now, this is something that is very hard for us to swallow. I've been in situations... Uh, I consider that on the road, and I've said, when somebody does that, I say, man, what an idiot. But I'm saying it, in a, it, not necessarily with a complaint, but almost as if I'm like, God have mercy on this guy. Yeah. But it's a fine line sometimes That's right. that you're, you're I, I find them walking, and then other times I'll be in the spirit and say, oh, what an idiot, you know, with that complaint. Spirit about me, and I think the hardest thing to do, <clears throat> excuse me, is to discern at that moment because it's happening so fast on whether you're walking a righteous path in the spirit or not. How about a tip on how to do that? Well, there's only one way, only one answer to the question he just quoted, and that answer is to walk totally, completely, 100% of the time in the spirit of the living God. Yeah, that's that's the only way you can do it. Now, if you walk in the Spirit, in other words, if you stay in the Word all the time, and you capture every thought. In fact, I'm going to say something about what he just said there. I'm going to tell you that Jesus' words, I don't remember where this is. It's in Matthew 5 or 6 or 7. Jesus said, if you call a man a fool, you're in danger of what? Oh, wait a minute. So why would we ever say those kind of words if we really believe that. You see where I'm coming from? You know, when God says, us as a church, we're to watch every word we speak. Do you think He meant that? I mean, not just every word. That's right, brother. He said, every idle word you speak, you shall be held accountable for every idle word you speak. That's scary, isn't it? So see, I found it, I, I know the Word, I've studied it, and when I came down, when I got back from Seattle uh, Tuesday, I was having trouble talking at a level where anybody could even hear me. You know, I mean, I, I could no way Tuesday I could have got up here and taught a healing class. In fact, I, I got back and I had to take a man to an airplane and some other things, and I thought, I can't teach tonight. I know if I called Ty at 4 o'clock and said, Ty, I hate to drop this on you, 
But I said, you know, I would appreciate it if you'd take the Bible study tonight because I said, I've got to take this guy to an airplane and he don't leave till 8.55. And I said, you know, I've got a lot of things to do. And besides that, I don't talk very well, so I need you to teach Bible study for me tonight. So he did. Well, I know i got a healing school today coming up. I saw I'm seeking God, you know, really seeking Him. Lord, I've got to be able to talk by Saturday. Because in the ten years I've been doing this, nobody has ever taught this healing school but me. Nobody. Now, I've got to train some people to do this. Because I know there's going to be times when I'm going to be gone somewhere else. But I'm trying my best to train people. And what I'm trying to do is train people to take a section of the healing school. And eventually, like you heard me say on tapes before, eventually I hope to have a, actually I'm not going to call it a healing school, but how to walk in the power of God's Word, and I'm going to have a class that's going to go for a week. You know, we're going to teach that. We're going to have to play from 9 o'clock in the morning until 4 o'clock in the afternoon for five days, and I'm going to have different people teach an hour and a half or a two-hour segment. I'm going to have them take a given portion of the promises of God, and I want them to teach it. You know, we need to talk and learn about demons. You know, maybe somebody teach two hours or three hours on demons and how they work. And then, you know, you take your break and come out and come back in this afternoon and somebody's teaching you about how to walk in love. You know, because the church don't know how to walk in love. We say we do, but we don't know what love is. None of us. We really don't know what it means. There's not a handful of Christians I ever met that knows how to walk in love. You know, I mean, let me ask you a question. If your wife... Or your, or your husband, offends you in something, God says, remember, no wrongs your mate does to you. How many of you can do that? It's kind of hard, isn't it? Remember, no wrongs. Now see, that's a love walk that's virtually impossible. So your wife does something wrong to you? She said, will you forgive me? Yes, I'll forgive you. Okay, five years later, she makes that same dumb mistake. Oh, you read the book. But you know what the average guy said? Look, five years ago, I forgave you for this. Now, had he really forgiven her? No, it's still in the back of his mind. You wait till she messes up again. I'm going to get her next time. I mean, is that the way we live? Sure. We don't walk in love. We don't do what it says. I mean, but I, it's virtually impossible it's not impossible, but it's very difficult to walk into God kind of love. That, you know, God told us in His Word that if we don't walk into God kind of love, that's why, you're, that's why His miracles don't work for us. He says your faith, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, He says faith works by love. And so guess why there's very few answers to prayer in the church? There ain't no love. There's no love. Yeah, I'm walking in love. Like one day up here. There's a man and a woman come up here. And I said, what's wrong with you? He said, i got brain tumors. I said, okay. I said, how's your love walk with God? He said, it's good. I'm, I'm going to church. I'm tithing. I'm doing all the things. I said, how's your love walk with this? I said, this woman here with you, she your wife? Yeah. I said, how's your love walk with her? He said, it's okay. You know? So I turned over to her and I said, man, how's, how's his love walk with you? She started crying. I said, your love walk ain't where it's supposed to be. I said, she should have said, wow, it's great. But she didn't. She started crying. And he said, well, she done something, and I'm not going to forgive her for it. I said, sir, if you don't forgive her, I don't, know, I don't even want to know what she did to you. I could care less. But if you don't forgive her, 
I said, you ain't going to get well. He said, what do you mean? I said, you know, that's why you got the tumor in your brain. You know, God told us in his word that if you hold a grudge against someone, he, God, will send the tormenting, torturing spirits against you. Somebody says, can you show me a verse that says that? Can I? Yes, I can. Let me, while we're right here, and where he said, don't grumble and complain, turn back to Matthew chapter 18, where we was a while ago. Turn back to Matthew 18, where the power of binding and loosing is. And let's go into one of these, and let's see how important it is to forgive. And see what God's going to do with you if you don't forgive. Now, this is scary when you read the Bible like it's written. And there's been a lot of people died early and maybe even went to hell because they didn't do what the king says here. Most people think that once you get saved, you're okay. You accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, you're once saved, always saved. You hear that in some churches. Now, then, I can accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, I can go out and just... You know, I got fire insurance now. That's all I need. I go out and live with my girlfriend. I go out and hold grudges against people. I do everything I want to do. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to tithe. I don't need to do nothing. And one day when I die, which is going to be a long, good life from now, God's going to have His arms out saying, Welcome home, son. Forget it. That ain't going to be the way it's going to be. It ain't going to be that way. I can tell you for sure. Matthew eighteen twenty one. Let me get to Matthew. I guess it might be better. I looked down at John 18. I thought, hmm, that don't say what I thought it was going to say. I guess that's why. Huh? I, I got to talking and stopped right there in John. And there's a little difference between Matthew 18 and John 18. Okay, let's go to Matthew 18:21. Then it says, Then came Peter to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. He thought he was really going out there and being nice. You know, I mean, most of us say, Lord, I'm going to forgive my wife if she messes up on me one time. But if she does it twice, I'm going to get her. I'm going to withhold all funds from her spending for the next two years if she messes up one more time. Isn't that love? No, it ain't love at all. But that's, do you ever know a man done that to his wife? Sure. I've heard of guys that if his wife don't do anything, would give her nothing. I mean, won't give her a dime to spend. Won't let her spend nothing. said, so how, how many times shall I forgive him? Seven times? Okay, so if your wife messes up, you forgive her at least seven times. Peter said, this will be going out on a limb. You know, after, after the seventh time you mess up, I'm going to punch you out, girl. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? That's the way we think. Jesus said to them, I say not unto you until seven times, but seventy times seven. That's what you said, brother. That's a bunch, isn't it? Seventy times seven times. That's how many times we've got to forgive. And he says, therefore, he tells us why. He says, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. This is us. This is a story about us right here. And when he had began to reckon... One was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, that's a lot of money. 10,000 talents back then 
My scripture says that's uh, $3.84 billion. That's a pretty good sized debt, isn't it? I mean, that might be peanuts to Bill Gates, but that's a whole bunch to me. You know that? A million is a lot of money to me. Isn't it you, brother? Yeah, a million is a lot of money. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. Now, look, it didn't stop right there. Commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now, who's going to have to pay the consequences of this debt? Everybody and everything they have. The wife, the children, the lands, the cars, the buses, the the motor homes, anything you may have, your bank account, everything is going to be sold to pay this. So, in other words, what you're doing, you're opening the door to the devil, to your whole world as you live it. And once I learned this, this is why, after I learned this, this is when I learned how to get children healed that's in the hospital with cancer. You know, when I saw children in the hospital dying at three years old or one year old, you know, you walk in and you think, good grief, liver failure. You know, in fact, as I taught these things, one of the ladies who used to work with us, Gloria, she turned out to be a great woman of faith. She had a cousin or a relative that had a baby girl. She was a Baptist. The other girl was a relative. And she went to a Baptist church sometimes. And she moved in with a boy, you know, and she got pregnant. That's usually what happens when they move in. And uh, she got pregnant, and she had this little baby girl. And when the girl was born, uh, something wrong with her. And so they kept her in the hospital, and by the third day, they said, it's over. Her liver is failing, and she'll be dead shortly. So she called Gloria. Now, three, year, three days old. I mean, the liver is brand new. Ever makes you wonder why a liver fails at three days? You know, they're supposed to work for 120 or more. You know, so why are they failing at three? It's sin. So we don't understand this. We don't get this principle. So she called her aunt. And told her that her baby was dying. And she said, a baby? I didn't know you got married. She said, well, I'm not married. She said, what are you doing with a baby? Oh, no. Well, she said, I moved in with a boy a year or so ago. And I got pregnant. And now I've got a baby girl. She said, that's why the little girl's dying. Because of your sin. So she goes over and says, you move out. You promised me. And you promised God that you'll ask Him to forgive you for moving in with this boy and having sex with this boy? Out of wedlock, you're supposed to be a daughter of the king. And she repented. She said, but Gloria, I didn't know these things. She said, makes no difference. God holds you accountable for His Word. So she asked the Lord to forgive her. Promised Him she'd move out. She said, Lord, I won't have sex with that boy no more. Now, if you ask God to forgive you, will He forgive you? He'll forgive. Boy, is He merciful? Amen. I mean, you know what I'd do to you? I'd just go ahead and kill you, you know? Well, aren't you glad I'm not God? I'm glad I'm not God too. Guarantee I'm glad I'm not. But anyway, God's merciful. And He forgave her. Now then, He requires some faith. The sin's been repented of. The little girl's still sick. Gloria walks in. She puts her hands on this glass compartment. This little girl can't touch her. Puts her hands on a glass compartment, and she quotes Mark 16, 17, and 18. Anybody know what Mark 16, 17, and 18 says? These signs shall follow them that believe. Now, it's time we become believing believers instead of unbelieving believers. 
These promises are from our king. <clears throat> the king quoted these promises. He said, and these signs shall follow those that believe. In my name you shall drive out demons. That's what's killing the little girl's liver, a demon. He has legal right because of her sin, the mother's sin. Then it says, and you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Isn't that an awesome promise from God? Most people don't believe that. Most people don't believe that. It's in the Word. So she laid her hands on the glass and said, Lord, they won't allow me to touch the baby. But what by faith I'm touching this child. So how do we do everything in the kingdom? By faith. So she said, Lord, I'm casting down that my nephew, niece or whatever it is, has repented of her sins and promised she won't do this no more. I am now casting this demon of hell that's killing her liver. I am casting this devil out. And I'm asking you to be merciful and complete a heal the little girl. Said it's done because you made us the promises. And in one hour, that little girl was completely healed. That little girl has been here in this church at least eight or ten times. And the last time I saw her, she was probably three years old. And she's the most beautiful, precious little girl. Ain't nothing wrong with her liver. Now, if she hadn't had an auntie like Gloria that knew the Word of God, guess what little girl would be dead? She'd be dead. Why was she dead? Because of her sin? No, because of her mother's sin. Isn't that something? See, when the Word of God says sin brings forth death, we don't believe that, do we? I mean, we take that too. You know, you know. God says, don't sin. It brings forth death. You say, well, I guess that was for those guys back yonder. It couldn't be for me. But let me tell you, he's no respecter of persons, is he? The same promises stand for you, just like me. Whenever I said, God, what did I do? It says in the book of wisdom, chapter 11, that the part that I sin was will be attacked. <clears throat> now, Cheryl, my lovely bride, you know, she, re- she grumbled and complained last week. And, of course, when she come down and asked her, honey, what do you think you've done? She said, I know what I've done. I grumbled and complained up there in the snow and ice. You know, she said, I grumbled and complained. So I, that's why I'm paying my consequence. And I thought, mm-mm, she ain't very smart, is she? No, I didn't really say that. I had to throw that in. You know, I I said, you know, we think that though, don't we? I mean, here she's been sitting under my teaching all this time. She ain't very smart, you know, but she was smart. She knew what was going on. And here I am grumbling and complaining about things. But whoever dreams, you know, somebody does something you don't like. I mean, even at the ministry center, sometimes they do something I don't like. And when they tear up something, break something, or do whatever... I may look at it and think, gee, I didn't say a word, but I'm thinking, oh boy, (laughs) you know, I wouldn't have done it like that, guarantee, you know, internally I'm grumbling. And then just like when I pulled up, I mean, you don't realize that, you know, just like when I pulled up to the bank this last week, here's that guy, six inches across the line. And I thought, you know, if that dummy had to just put it in there, I, could, I wouldn't have to go all the way down. I got to park right there and let him to walk a half a mile. Look, was I grumbling? Yes. I was grumbling. You know, and I was doing it right here. And so, guess what? And, you know, you don't realize how easy. So after God revealed that to me this week, I'm starting to, Lord, repent of everything. Really. Lord, I repent of everything. And I said, Lord, please Bring it to my attention every time I do something wrong like that. I don't. I want to get well. I want to get over this. I want my voice to be normal again. I haven't had a pain or nothing, so I've been fortunate. Not a pain. I just have trouble talking clear. But <clears throat> I have to clear my voice once in a while or cough before I can talk again. 
I said, Lord, please reveal to me when I do things wrong. So, that's a dangerous thing to ask. I go out and get in the pickup this morning, and all the stuff was sitting there to load in the pickup, and I thought, you know, if they had taped these boxes down, I wouldn't have to do it. And the Lord says, click. I said, Lord, I'll gladly tape them down myself. No problem, Lord. I'm sorry. You know, you don't realize how many times you grumble about something. You start paying attention in your life. You pay attention. Uh, every word captured, like this brother said here a while ago, God's going to hold you accountable for every idle word that you speak. And he said that in Matthew chapter 12. He did say that. So, it's a good thing for those of us that don't know the principles. He's a whole lot more merciful to us than those of us that know the principles. When you get to where you know the principles, he holds you accountable, brother. You know it? And he tells me, son, you know them. You've preached them. I've told you, and you've preached about no grumbling and complaining. Now, then, you're grumbling and complaining about far too many things. Hey, okay, God. I got the message. I'm going to do my best to stop grumbling and complaining. You know, that sometimes I want to grumble about something when somebody's trying to do something good for me. Anybody ever been guilty of that? Sure. We all have. You know, we are guilty of those kind of things. You got something you want to say right quick, Joseph? That's really, that's really heavy. Yeah. Turn it up. I'll turn the mic up. It's on. Hold on a second there. All you got to do is talk. Well, anyway, it hit me uh, pretty hard here. You talking about this this morning. We we were a little late getting over here because we got the time confused. I thought it didn't start till 2 o'clock. So we was in a hurry. And um, as we got out on the highway, I kind of grumbled and complained about a person that was getting in my way in the car. <laughs> and Lori says, Lord, uh, Lord, would you bless that person and help them, you know, to learn to be... Ooh, a smart woman you got there. And a second or two later, I grumbled about another one, and she prayed about that one, too. <laughs> and then I told her, I said, well, I'll point out to Paul, and you pray for him. <laughs> and she says, yes, but she says, I hope you'll learn to pray for him, too. Amen. Praise the Lord. You, drive the school bus, Amen. you need to start learning to pray for them. It's easy for us to grumble and complain, isn't it, Joseph? And then we come here, and you've, got, and you've made a big issue about this. God <laughs> really convicted my heart. I won't grumble and complain anymore, Lord. Amen. Lori, you can tell me if he does that or not, right? Praise the Lord. Oh, goodness. I'm going I'm to tell you, you know, it's, it's really difficult for people to grasp that God is in control of everything. I mean, we say, God wouldn't do nothing like that to me. He loves me. But, yeah, it, it teaches us in the Word over and over and over. God is the one that's in control of everything. And there's only one you've got to make happy. You cannot rebuke the devil and drive him out if God's not happy with what's going on. Yeah. But if God's happy, then you can rebuke the devil and drive him out. Now, let's go on here in this Matthew 18. We'll try to finish this up before the break, then we'll take a break. But in Matthew chapter 18, it says, after the wife, the children, everything, verse 26, it says, The serpent therefore fell down and worshipped him. Now, that's the first word that I'm going to tell you is extremely important in the Scripture. You fell down and do what? Worship. Worship who? The Lord. 
If you want something from God, if you're not willing to fall at His feet and humble yourself and worship Him, forget it. Chances are you're not going to get it. You've got to be willing to worship the King. He loves worship, doesn't He? And He's worthy of our worship and praise. He's God. I mean, He's worthy. But they worshiped Him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. Now, when you worship Him and ask Him to forgive you, will He be moved with compassion and forgive you? That's good news, isn't it? And, and He loosed Him and forgave Him the debt. Now, how would you like for somebody to you owe somebody $3.8 billion? And you could He said, Brother, it's time for you to pay me. He said, Lord, I ain't got $3.8 billion, but I'm working on getting it. I'll do this. I'll try to make the interest payment this time. He said, uh, I tell you what, since you're worshiping me and you're such a nice guy, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to forgive you that $3.8 billion. You don't owe me a dime. Would you be a happy critter? Ooh. Most of us, if they just forgive us a note on our house, you know, if you owed 100000 on your house, you'd be screaming and jumping, wouldn't you? Sure. And then he says, <clears throat> but the same servant, after he was forgiven, went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. That's about $3,000. Now, the first one was forgiven $3.8 billion. Now, then he found somebody that owed him $3,000. Not very much of a comparison here, is there? Not much. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me all that you owe me. Now, this guy, he's just not being very nice to him, is he? He's got him down on his knees, got his hands around his throat, choking him. And the fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. What a lovely guy. And he would not, but he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and told unto the Lord all that was done. Then the Lord, after that he had called him, said to him, O you wicked servant. Now, how would you like to be called a wicked servant? you like God to call you a wicked servant? I don't want him to see me as a wicked servant, because I know what he does to wicked people. And I don't like what he does to wicked people. That could be one of his sons. I mean, you know, you, I mean, if you've had a daughter or a son that, you know, that loves you and do anything for you and they do something wrong, you had to get the switch out and you had to wear their little backside out and they, they hurt you worse than it did them. And they don't believe that. <clears throat> they don't, can't believe that until they get grown and have their own. One day then they'll understand. Now I understand what it meant when Dad said, son, this is going to hurt me more than it does you. When you were young, you said, yeah, I know, yeah, sure it is, uh-huh. Yeah, they didn't understand. Oh, you wicked servant, didn't I forgive you all that debt because you asked me? Should us not you also have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was angry and delivered him to the tormentors. The Lord did what? To who? The devil. Now, how would you like for God to deliver you to the devil? I don't want that, do you? Because if he delivers you to the devil, you can do all the casting out of demons you want. You ain't never going to get rid of that beast. Until you please God. And that is where we have missed it in the church. 
When Jesus said we can cast out devils and lay hands on the sick and they'll get well, we have failed to get people to repent of their sins before we try to cast out demons. So, I mean, the Pentecostal church and a little bit of the assembly of God have done these kind of things and they have had knocked down drag outs with demons. Cussing, spitting, foaming, throwing up. Have we seen that? We've seen it, haven't we? You know? And I had the same kind of experience. I didn't know. I couldn't get demons. And when I, when I try to command a demon to come out. In fact, I've studied these verses. And I remember a woman one time that she had a hysterectomy, didn't help her. She still had cramps in her back and all kinds of stuff. I'd, I'm actually a Baptist preacher called me and asked me to go over and minister to this woman. And he said, I think the problem is spiritual. I now know it's all spiritual. You know, that's where it all starts in the spirit world. You know, it's all there. You know, without that, you ain't got no sickness and disease. It's all in the spirit world. You break God's spiritual laws and then the problems come upon us. And that's the way he controls it. <clears throat> a lot of people, like I say, don't want to hear this. I'm telling you, this is the way it works. So this woman, she had a demon. And I tried to cast this demon out. This demon kept speaking out of her mouth. Said, no, I am not coming out. I have a legal right to be here. I thought, you know, this devil, God told me these demons are liars. You know, so this beast is lying to me. But I said, come out. But he would not. Finally, I said, okay, God, i got a problem here. I said, Lord, I'm trying to be about your business. I'm trying to cast this demon out of this woman. And I said, Lord, I'm commanding this devil to come out in your name, and he ain't leaving. I said, why? He said, because I sent him. I mean, for a Baptist, Southern Baptist deacon, that was a... God, you sent the demon? I thought, what? Lord. He said, yeah, don't you remember, son? I told you that if you don't forgive, I send the tortures to them. He said, she's got an unforgiveness. I said, ma'am, who do you have an unforgiveness for? And her husband said, there, he said, it's real easy. It was her first husband. I said, you see these four boys? I said, yes, I said, them two biggest ones. That was hers and his. And said, when that second one was born, he ran off and left her in the hospital. Never supported her. Never paid a dime for her. Nothing. And she's hated him with a passion ever since. She had a pretty good reason, didn't she? You know, he brought two little children into the world. And after the second one got here... <clears throat> He don't want nothing to do with these two babies. So he's going to run off and leave her and go out and play the field again. He didn't want the kids anyway. All he wanted was sex. But now she's got two babies. Usually when people have sex, you know what comes? Babies. You know, it just happens. Just the way life is. You know, so they got two of them now. And he don't want them, so he leaves. And boy, she got a grudge against him. He wouldn't support her. She had to work, pay for them babies herself. I know lots of women have had to go through this. A lot of them. And a lot of them have had terrible grudges, just like her. And now that she's had a, all these back pains, cramps, a hysterectomy, gone through all this pain and suffering, and she's still sick. And the Lord revealed to me right there, this demon was in there because he had sent him to her because of her disobedience. Well, I told her, I said, ma'am, when I found out with her husband, I said, oh, it's her first husband. I said, you've got to forgive him. She said, no, I'm never going to forgive him. I said, well, man, he's ruined your life up to now. I said, if you don't forgive him, he's going to ruin the rest of it. And so I finally drug it out of her. In the name of Jesus, I forgive so-and-so from my heart. As soon as she did that, as soon as she got that out, I said, okay, devil, you've heard with your own ears. This woman has forgiven her husband. You have no legal claim to be here no more. Has she asked the Lord to forgive her? 
Will he? Sure he will. I said, now then, you devil, you have no legal claim. I said, in the mighty name of Jesus. And, of course, just a few minutes before, I said, woman, what you need is Jesus. She said, no, I don't want nothing to do with him. Now, who was that talking? That's a devil. Sure, that devil. I said, now, once I got her to repent of her sin, I said, now, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus, get out. And bam. I mean, that beast was gone that quick. She looked up at me, and I said, now what you need is Jesus. And this woman that just a few minutes before said, I don't want nothing to do with him. She said, yes, yes, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I led that woman into the kingdom of God, got her saved, and got her healed. And as I'm doing all this, the woman jumps out of the chair and grabs me and starts kissing me on the cheek. When she jumped up, I didn't know what to expect. <clears throat> you know, because I didn't know she was going to attack me. You know, I didn't know she was going to try to kill me because a few minutes before this woman was mean and she was going to hurt me. But when the demon left, she ain't mean no more. You know, she had a demon in her. And that was a great revelation to me. This woman had a demon in her sent to her by God because of her unforgiveness. But that's what the Scripture says. And his Lord was angry, and he delivered, the Lord delivered him to the devil or the tormentors until he should pay all that was due unto him. But what if you, you think you'll be able to pay the debt under these kind of circumstances? If you couldn't pay it before, you sure can't pay it now. Look at the next verse, 35. This is a clincher. And who's talking? Jesus. This is a king. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. If you've got a grudge against somebody, you know what you better do today? Forgive. forgive. If you're still walking and you're not sick and afflicted, you better forgive. Because I'm going to tell you for sure, after you learn this truth, if you don't forgive them, start walking holy. I'm going to tell you, God's going to hold you really accountable now. You know it? He's going to hold you accountable. <clears throat> Who would have ever dreamed that God will deliver you to the tormentors? But it's written, isn't it, brother? If God says in His Word, I will deliver you to the tormentors if you don't forgive your brothers from your heart, why in the world do so many people in the church have unforgiveness towards someone? Why? What? They don't believe that the Father will take care of them. <clears throat> Play that again. I said, it just came to me, the revelation. They say they're believers, but they really don't believe that the Father will take care of the business and take care of justice as He's promised. As he promised yeah. they, they don't believe it. Yeah. So therefore, they feel like, I, it's, I guess it's pride, a, a, a piece of the pride. i got to do it myself or i got to administer the justice or whatever. They don't believe the Father will take care of it. But will the Father do what He said in His Word? If He said it, I guarantee He'll do what He said. So, you're right. When you begin to understand, just like me, I'm thinking, okay, God, I have been teaching a healing school for 10 plus years. I have been walking in complete divine health for over 20 years. I've not had a cold. I've not had a sore throat. And it ain't sore yet. But, Lord, I've never had a problem teaching with a bold, clear voice. But, Lord, Tuesday, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't. No way I could have got up and talked four hours about the power of God's Word. No way. So as I got drew on in the week, I said, Lord, I know you said in your Word 
In Proverbs 26, 2, no curse comes upon me undeserved. I know you sent this thing to me. I know I've broken your spiritual law some way. And since I've read that so clear in the book of Wisdom, chapter 11, that whatever I sin with, that's a part that's attacked. That's pretty clear, isn't it? So, Lord, I must have done something wrong. What did I do wrong? And he began to show me. You know, I mean, just immediately you know, when God comes back and he shows you a little vision, you're pulling into the bank. And the car is parked at, and you say, oh, that fool, that dummy. If he had just pulled over there, you know, you think, God, hey. You know, or the guy cuts you off, you know. Or somebody does something at the ministry center, and you think, you know, well, good grief, you know, doing, doing. I mean, I ain't saying a word. I'm just smiling and looking at him. But, you know, down in, I'm thinking, you know, I wouldn't have done it like that. I don't know none of y'all ever done nothing like that, have you? <clears throat> but me. But that's what happens to us. You know, we grumble internally. In fact, Dave was just telling me himself the other day out there, he has found out from God, too, because he had a couple of attacks with his sickness. The first one took him almost three or four days to get rid of it because of grumbling and complaining when he went to Canada. And then, before he left Canada, he had another little rising up of grumbling and complaining, and he came home sick, and it took him a month to get rid of it this time. Isn't that amazing? So he said, Thurman, I've come to realize that all you got to do is just grumble and complain internally. I said, what do you mean? He said, I didn't voice it. He said, the other day, Yesha had done something I didn't like, and I, never, I just smiled at her. And I walked out grumbling internally about what she did. I didn't like it at all. He said, the next day I was sick. Couldn't talk. Now then, the more you learn about God's Word, the more He holds you accountable. <clears throat> so, Lord, may this never happen to me again. Yeah, my wife told me this morning, she said, well, if everybody thinks you're perfect, they need to talk to me first. <laughs> See, hey, nobody knows more about you than those that live with you every day, right? <clears throat> In fact, Cheryl used to say, before God brought her into my life, after she got healed at our ministry, she said, I was sitting back on the back one day, I was thinking, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to be married to a perfect man. So then God brought her to me, and she married me, and she found out I'm far from perfect. You know, but at least we're working on it. We're working on it. Now then, we're going to take a break. Before we do, we're going to pass out the envelopes. If y'all want to give to our ministry, you don't have to, but if you want to, here's some envelopes. You can put your... Uh, Donation in an envelope, or if you write a check, write it at the TLSM. You don't need an envelope, and but you know we like to send you a donation receipt at the end of the year. And uh, uh, <clears throat> so, if you want to give and get a receipt, you'll have to uh, have an envelope with your name and address and phone number and all that stuff. We have a uh, uh, we we just got all the donation receipts out this year, uh, and Cheryl got all. I think we only got about a half a dozen of them back. She really done a good job. You know, when you got 1,500 people to, to give donations over the years and you only get a half a dozen of them back, man, that was, I thought, fantastic. Especially when they're all over the world. You know, so she really done a good job. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you said, given it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. So, Lord, we give well, everything we have. And, Lord, I ask you to bless the giver and the gift as they give into your ministry. I ask you to bless them. 
with what they give, Lord. Just, you just do exactly what your word says. Now, Lord, I want to thank you for blessing them and blessing our ministry. In Jesus' name. Okay. Start off with this afternoon. <coughs> I want you to know something that we got here. That anything that we need from the Lord as His sons and daughters. If we go to Him and ask Him, so many people want to walk where other people walk, or they want to, uh, they see a preacher somewhere that's walking in God's anointing. They want to walk there. They want to do what they want to do. But God doesn't have the same plan for every one of you. He's got a plan for you and a plan for me. You know, He called every one of us to do something different. But if you want to find out what His plan is, there's only one way to find out. And that's go to Him directly. And He sent you a teacher called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, under this magnificent place of grace that we're supposed to walk. Now, unfortunately, the church don't walk in a whole lot of grace. They walk mostly under law. Because they don't know their position as sons and daughters of God. I'm going to tell you, when you study out the whole thing about grace, this is where we're supposed to walk. We are supposed to be led by the Spirit of the living God. Once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you're not supposed to do anything in the course of the day without asking your boss. Now, that's where we get in trouble. We don't do that. Unfortunately, we don't do that. Now, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about right here, how something happened to me just recently. When here I am supposed to be a man of God, led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. And I'll tell you how things can happen when you walk without being led by the Spirit. In the normal course of the day, when I wake up in the morning, I wake up praising the Lord. I ask Him to fill me with the Holy Ghost. I ask Him to teach me today. I mean, I'm seeking Him. I'll read His Word, study His Word. I'll go out and everything I do, I'll try to pray over or ask His guidance and direction, even as I'm driving down the road, Lord, help me today. You know, whatever kind of decision I need to do, you show me. Well, that's what He sent the Holy Ghost to do. Now, when you get saved, you need to ask the Lord to fill you every day with the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you get that Holy Spirit, it'll change your life forever. But it'll tell you how, I'll show you how easy it is to fall away from that. In fact, when Cheryl and I got married, one of the things she asked me after about the first two or three months of our marriage, she says, do you pray about everything you do? I said, yes. She said, well, I have in the first two or three months we was married, she never saw me do anything that I didn't pray over. You know, we prayed over everything. I mean... It's, most people are kind of awestruck when they bring you a glass of water to the table and you bless it in the name of Jesus. And then they come by and say, let me refill it. It's half full and you fill it up. Whatever you, they read, you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I want you to bless that water. They said, but we blessed it a while ago. No, we blessed that water. Now they filled it, we blessed it again. And then in a few minutes they bring you a salad to the table and you pray over it and bless that in the name of Jesus. And then they bring you the salad dressing to put on it. And up, up, okay, we've got to bless that. See, that's totally being led by the Spirit. 
You're asking the Lord. Now, if you're asking Him, is something wrong with that dressing? He'll tell you that stuff's spoiled. If you're being totally led by the Spirit, He'll tell you, don't eat that dressing. There ain't something wrong with it. You know, so that's, that's, what, that's where we're supposed to walk. Well, I got up here the other morning. <clears throat> I was having a problem with one of our furnaces. And I went over to the building where it was. And I'm trying to get the furnace to work, and it won't work. I looked at a code two blinking on it. I thought, well, what did I do with the code book? So I went looking for this code book, couldn't find it. I went and called the manufacturer. I said, do you have another one of those books? No, I don't have one. He said, we'd have to open a box to get one out. And we don't want to do that. I said, okay, I understand. So I called the manufacturer, and I couldn't get a hold of anybody to give me the code book. So after I'd messed around for a couple of hours, <coughs> trying to find out what this blinking code 2 meant so I could fix this furnace, I'm frustrated. I'm in my office. I know I have one of those somewhere, but I couldn't find it. I know I've got three or four of them, but I couldn't find them because I bought three or four or five of these furnaces. You get one with every furnace. But I'd put them somewhere so well that I couldn't find them. <laughs> I know none of y'all ever done that before. <laughs> really something when you put them up that well, right? <laughs> Couldn't find them. So I'm sitting there in my office, <coughs> kind of frustrated. And Dave, one of the guys that works with me in the ministry, he walked in and said, Pastor, what's wrong? Uh, he could say something's wrong with me. And I said, well, Dave, I got this problem with this furnace over here, and I got a book somewhere, and I can't find it anywhere. And I said, I just don't know what I'm going to do. i got to fix that furnace. He said, well, my pastor would say, have you prayed about this yet? And guess what I hadn't done? I said, Dave, I said, God sent you in your special. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I know I'm supposed to be led by your spirit. I know your spirit here is my teacher. But, Lord, I haven't asked, and so I ask you to forgive me. I said, now, Father, in Jesus' name, I need the book, and I ask you to show me by the Spirit where it's at. And do you know how long it took for me to know where that book was at? you know how long it took? One second. One second I knew exactly where the book was. Now, see, I had went back to the source that, I'm, that you and I are supposed to be led by every day. But how many of us walk there every day? Most of us do not. Most of us depend upon ourselves and our own five physical senses and we were not led by the Spirit. So I got up out of my chair and went back where I immediately, I mean, when I prayed, I knew where that book was. And I got up out of my chair, walked down the hallway to another room, walked right in there, and there the book was, exactly where it was. And, of course, then I found the book, found what the codes were, got me a new part, fixed it. Now then, if you're led by the Spirit in everything you do, you've got this Holy Spirit to teach you. Now then, he is a faith God, and if you don't ask Him, you won't get it. You, you'll just be amazed at the things you'll miss. If you just give God a shotgun blast, get up in the morning and say, Okay, Lord, I ask you to lead me today by your Spirit. And I ain't going to worship you no more today. I ain't going to praise you no more today. I'm just going to expect you to take care of business. You may not get much from Him. You may not get much from Him. But if you worship him and praise him. And, of course, I, I put a relationship like this with a man and a woman. You know, so your wife gets up with you in the morning. She walks up and puts her arms around and tells you how much she loves you. 
and you tell her how beautiful she is. You know, if I forget that, <coughs> if Cheryl and I get up together and we get ready to go to church and she's standing in the doorway and I said, something wrong, she's saying, I said, oh, honey, you're beautiful today. Oh, that's what I was waiting to hear you say. Now we can go to church. <laughs> she wants to be told she's beautiful. Now then, if you don't tell her she's beautiful, there will be a lot of communications you'll probably get messed up on during the course of the day. <clears throat> it works better when you're talking to your wife. You know that, guys? You know, you need to tell them good things. They like to hear it. And if you're a guy and you're not telling your wife she's beautiful once in a while saying something good to her, you need to start. And if you're a woman and you're not telling your husband good things, if you're cutting him down, you need to stop it because he's going, he will not do the things for you that he will do for you if you tell him good things. I mean, you just be amazed at what you'll suffer all because your words were not right. You know that? <coughs> People say, well, my husband, he never does anything good for me. Well, I can tell you, you ain't doing something good for him, too. I'll tell you for sure. But then with God and the Holy Spirit, it's the same way. You know, if you're led by the Spirit of God and you're worshiping the Lord, you're praising Him, loving Him, and, and, and asking Him about everything you do during the course of the day, He will keep you safe. He will show you in the Word what to do, where to go, and He will show you what's wrong with your life. Just like when I petitioned him, Lord, why am I having trouble talking? <coughs> he showed me. Now, it's kind of, you, know, you think, but you must be awful slow. It took you that long to ask. But see, I don't, I don't care who you are. Sometimes we go far too long before we ask. You know, I didn't see nothing wrong with my life. I thought it was okay. But see, what I think <coughs> and what God thinks it's two different things. I may think I'm doing everything right. In fact, yesterday I was talking to a gentleman, and <clears throat> as we were talking, you know, I said, you know, I have done my best in my whole life to walk holy in obedience to God's Word. You know, I said, I've never, I never ran around with my wife, not one time. You know, I never did go out and cuss. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do none of those things. Never. You know, I never went out and drank. I never had a drug in my body. You know, other than some kind of a, I guess you might call an aspirin a drug. I don't know, but I've had some of those. But as far as drugs, I've never had them. But I've never done none of those things. And I've been extremely blessed to live a life that no smoking, no drinking, you know, no alcohol of no kind, no drugs of no kind, no no lying, no stealing. I, I didn't ever stop or steal stuff, never did. Now, I was the only guy that ever took a test up there at that uh, test I took in New York when I went to fly, and when the guy said, have you ever stolen anything? I thought, and I said, yeah. He said, what? <clears throat> I said, I stole five quarts of oil from the Chevrolet place one time. Didn't do it intentionally, but I changed all of my car one night and I forgot to pay for it. Never did pay for it. So I said, I stole those five-course oil from that company. I never did pay for those five-course oil. He said, you never stole anything more than that? I said, no. So when it comes taking tests, he asked me a question. You must answer every question, either yes or no. 
And that's the only thing, after he asked all the questions, he asked me an hour worth of questions. Start off saying, is your name Thurman Scribner? I say, yes. Is your wife's name Betty? Yes. You know, do you have any children? At that time, no. <coughs> all these things he asked, I had to answer yes or no. Have you ever sold anything? Yes. Was it valued more than $5? No. I went through the whole test. When I got through the test, he said, now then, tell me what... Like some fictitious, some crazy number like 352 times 75. I said, what? <coughs> he said, <coughs> what is the answer to 352 times 75? I thought, well, sir, I'd have to figure that out in my head. He said, go ahead. The minute I started calculating, he said, that's all I need to know. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're the first man I ever questioned on a test that absolutely never made a blip. He said, everything you told me was 100% the truth. He said, I thought that your body wasn't working. <laughs> so he said, when I asked you to multiply that out, that caused all your senses to come to life. When it is, the needles all started responding. So he said, you, you told me the truth. I said, well, I thought I was supposed to tell the truth. But anyway, when I had lived like that, I told a man yesterday, I said, you know, I have lived that kind of life. You know, I've never sold anything, never done anything. He looked at me and said, I know this had to be coming from the Holy Spirit. He said, you know, your righteousness is as filthy rags in the presence of God. I thought, oh, God. But, Lord, I still believe we need to live a clean, pure life. But still, the best I can do in His presence is filthy rags. So without the blood of Jesus, there's no way for me to get to heaven. Never. No way. So, for those of you that didn't live a life like that, for those of you who can't say, well, I've been drunk a lot of times, or I've been on drugs a lot of times, or I run around in my life 20 times, or I did all those things, there's just as much hope for you. But when you come to Jesus and being led by the Holy Spirit, He expects your life to change right now today, just like He changed mine. You might have used to been on drugs, but you might have used to been sick. And some of the things you did in the past may be what's brought your sickness and disease upon you. But if you'll repent of all of those things and be led by the Spirit, He will forgive everything you've ever done. And this afternoon, in this last session, we're going to talk about the promises He's made. If you're led by the Spirit of the living God, how He will heal you and deliver you and set you free and raise you to a new place beyond your wildest dreams. Nothing is impossible with God if you believe Him. But most of us, unfortunately, don't believe His promises. When He tells us not to do something, we do it anyway. We don't realize that there is a consequence for sin. You know? That's the hardest thing in the world for me to get across to us. To believe that when you sin, you open a door to the devil that's going to bring sickness and disease upon you. Now, it may not do it the first time or the fifth time or the tenth time, but eventually it's going to do it. And sometimes it will do it immediately. Now, everybody knows if you start smoking and you smoke diligently for 5, 10, 20 years, you're going to come down probably with lung cancer. It's just a fact of life. But we also know that <clears throat> if you come down 5, 10, 15 years of smoking, like the young man we had up here the other day, that was from Omaha, I believe it was, he had smoked three, and a, three to four packs a day for years, tried to get through, couldn't. Came to our ministry, he said, I want to be free. Well, Joel 2.32, Jesus said, you know, that anybody that wants to be delivered 
he will in no wise turn you away if you come to him for deliverance. Is that a promise from God? Sure it is. Joel 2.32. Yes, sir. That last scripture, would you please repeat it so I can write down which it was? Joel 2.32? No, 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 the one previously. What was the one previously? Uh, well, did I say one before that? Okay. Okay, Joel 2.32. If you come to the Lord for deliverance, He will in no wise turn you away. He will deliver you. So, <clears throat> this young man came to the Lord for deliverance. And we quoted the Scriptures, Joel 2.32, and we call God in remembrance of His promises. See, He's the one who makes the promises. We stand on His promises. It's not your words that counts. Or my words that count, but His words that counts. So when you come to God on behalf of His promises, and you call Him in remembrance of His promises, He watches over His word to perform His word. Now, of course, that's written in Jeremiah 1.12. So Jeremiah 1.12, He watches over His word to perform it. He's ready to perform His word. So if you don't know enough about His word to get in and seek Him, chances are you're going to get very little from God. You know, but if you do it his way, there's no limitations to what he'll do for you. He's made us these great and awesome promises. But anyway, this young man came to us, and he asked, he wants to be delivered. He said, I'm a truck driver. I smoke three or four packs every day. He said, I know they're killing me, and it's cost me a lot of money. So we come and ask the Lord to forgive him of his sins, and he's calling upon him for deliverance. So, Father, your word, your word you'd never turn him away. So we ask you to deliver him. Now we rebuke these demons of hell, command them to leave, and him to be set free. <clears throat> he come back through here on a truck trip the other day, come right up here, stood up here, and said in, I think it's a year or two years, he has not even had a desire for a cigarette. Set totally free. Totally set him free. Totally changed his life forever. But, now then, by smoking all those years, it's very possible now then, that a man could have not come to God and not got delivered in another five or ten years. He may be in a hospital somewhere with lung cancer, you know, or have a lung removed. <clears throat> but see, we, don't do, we, we treat our bodies terrible. You know, I've seen a lot of guys that would say, if I'd had any idea I was going to live to be 50, I would have taken care of my body. But you know, when I'm 20... You know, you think, hey, this thing's do anything I want it to do, and I can make you do anything I want it to do. <clears throat> and so it's okay if I go out and drink, smoke, and everything. And, of course, that turns out like the two men. I've told this story a lot of times, but the two gray-headed men sitting there, and they're pretty good shape, but both of them look pretty old. And the guy walked up and he said, sir, what do you contribute your long life to? And the first guy he said, living a clean life, knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I mean, eating right, exercising right, and going to church and reading the Word every day and taking care of my body like God told me in His Word. He said, wow. He said, how old are you? He said, 96. He said, well, you look really good. Turned to the other man, looked just like him, or basically. He said, and what do you contribute your long life to? He said, running around with a wild woman every day. Drinking a fifth of booze every day. Smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. Cussing every, and not going to church and not serving God. He said, wow. How old are you? He said, I'm 26. <laughs> now, both those guys look the same. You see, when God says sin brings forth death, the 26-year-old looks like he's 96. 
Some of you seen people like that, haven't you? Yeah. Well, that's why. If you want to grow up to be a good, healthy guy, and of course, you know, as we were talking last night, I'm bordering really close to 70. You know, 68. That's not far from 70. You know that? You know, when my dad was 50 years old, you know what I thought? I thought, he's over the hill. You know what I mean, don't you, brother? Yeah, when your dad's 50 and you're 15, good grief, the old man's over the hill, you know? But you don't realize at 50, he's, but my dad never learned what I learned. My dad did die at 79, but he, lived, but he smoked. And that, that really caused him some major problems in life, major problems. I never, I never smoked a cigarette. I ain't going to smoke. You know, I know what them things do, and I'm going to take care of this body. But I've seen the Lord restore people's bodies. You talk about merciful God. As they go through all this dumb stuff, drugs, alcohol, everything else, I've seen them come to God, walk in love, do what He says, and stand on His Word. And sometimes it takes a few weeks or sometimes a few months or even sometimes a year or two. But He will restore according to your faith. And as you walk in love, your faith works. As you walk in love, you're led by the Spirit. There's something you've got to know as a Christian. The scriptures I, I used to read in Galatians 5. I'm going to talk about these great and awesome promises today, this afternoon, in this portion. And I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 5. And I read this a lot of times, and I, I just couldn't get this. He says, Stand fast, Galatians 5 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, in the liberty. Think about what he said there. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now then, if he's telling you to stand fast in the liberty and be not entangled again in bondage, it must be that you can be entangled in bondage again. Well, sure you can. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, that's if you be circumcised to fulfill the law. Now, if a man, I didn't understand that either, if a, today, when a boy is born, I mean, if you have not born in a hospital, they circumcise that kid that day. Well, whether you ask, whether they ask you or not, they just do it. You know, I don't think that's right. You know, I think that we ought to have the say so what we do with our children. That's just like when they stick a needle in their heel and drain blood out of them. You take a precious little baby out of a mother's womb, and just gone through one of the most traumatizing events they've ever had to come to that birth canal. First thing we do is take them out and cut them and stick them and everything else. You know, I think that's wrong. You know, and that's why I think that the children ought to be born at home. I don't think we ought to do all this stuff to our kids. But you can do what you want to with yours. Oh, I, Paul, send you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Now, you were circumcised to fulfill the law, to think you're going to do this so you can be good enough to walk with God. In other words, today people will tell you there's things you have to do to be able to be a Christian. There's only one thing you've got to do to be a Christian, and that's believe the Word of God and walk in it. I mean, that's all you've got to do. Believe God, confess it with your mouth, and believe in your heart. And then let the Holy Spirit come in and let Him lead you. And after that, if you'll let the Holy Spirit come in and lead you, you won't never get in trouble. <clears throat> but I don't know anybody that does that. 
<clears throat> all the rest of us. We make mistakes. Verse 4 says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. I used to say, what does that mean? I didn't understand that. I asked everybody imaginable what that meant to me except God. And then finally one day I said, Lord, I've got to have the answer. What does it mean? Did I lose my salvation right there? <clears throat> he said, no. He said, what that means is that if you take my law, <clears throat> my law of grace, and you walk in the law of grace, as long as you're walking in love, you're being led by my Spirit. And my Spirit will never take you down the wrong path. As long as you're walking in love and you're led by the Spirit, the Spirit will walk with you and you will never make a mistake. So you'll never be under the law. You have total freedom and liberty up there on this path, this walkway, this path of grace. You have free, total freedom to walk there. But he said, don't break my law. Well, if you do, you fall from grace. And I'm trying to get this picture. And he revealed it to me in such a simple way. He said, son, I am God and I'm invisible. You can't see me. But down at your ledge, this lady branch at the uh, Austin, they have a legislative branch. And they are God. They make the rules. Okay. I get that. They make the rules for you to drive on the highways. The legislative department. He said, you don't ever see them. You don't know them. But they make the rules. He said, that's me. I'm God. I'm invisible. I make the rules. And it's up to you to abide by my rules. He said, now, they make the rules on the state of Texas. And they tell you that they're going to give you grace to drive on their highways. Provided you have a car. If you have a car, and the car is insured, and it's inspected, and has license plates on it, and all of it's current, and you have a driver's license, and it's all current, he said, then the legislative department gives you grace to drive on the highways up to the speed limit. He said, now then, if any one of those is not met... And you fall from the grace. In other words, if you're driving down the road and the guy looks up in your inspection sticker says 107 instead of at least 207, he's going to say, hey, that guy's sticker expired last month. Now, this is the executive department, the police department. Uh, I mean, the executive department, yeah, is, which is a police department. The legislative department has set out an executive department to watch over the rules to make sure that you obey the rules. Is that true? So, here's the executive department. He's sitting out here, and I like to relate the police department, no offense, guys, to the demonic world. The devil and his host of demons. In other words, they hire a police chief. That's the devil. If you want to put it like this. No, no offense, guys. Nobody get mad at me. But if you got, you got a police chief down here 
and he's the head, head man, and he goes out and hires all these guys and puts them in squad cars out here and tells them to drive up and down the road. Watch these guys. Look at their stickers. Look at their license plates. You know, watch their speed. So they buy them radars and all kinds of stuff. The guy's watching. You got these binoculars out there watching you. You come zipping down the road, and he sees every number's just like he's supposed to be, and you're driving 60 or under on a highway that's 60. He says, nah, no problem. I can't bother them. They're doing okay. You're driving 50 miles an hour. He don't bother you. You know, but all of a sudden you come driving down the road there, and he says, oh, he said, well, there goes one, man. He's going way too fast. Shoots his radar on you, and you're doing 90. He said, whoo, then he fires that thing up, and he's gone right after you turns them lights on. Then he gets up there and finds out not only were you driving 90, but he finds out when he gets there, your inspection sticker's been out for three months. Then he finds out your license plate was expired last year. And then he says, let me see your insurance. And you say, I don't carry insurance. I don't believe in it. And now if you don't get out of my way, I'm going to run over you. Oh, yeah? He picks up his little gun, puts it in your face, and says, get out of the car. You're going with me. And if you give him any nonsense, guess what he's going to do? He's going to be like the guy that he took out the billy club, and he says, sir, you've got to stop at that stop sign. He said, I did stop at that stop sign. He said, no, sir, you slowed down at that stop sign. And so he said, sir, after about the third day in a row, this police officer stopped this guy every day. He said, sir, you've got to stop at the stop sign. He said, I did. He said, no, you didn't. You pulled up there. You're rolling three miles an hour. He went right on through it. You didn't stop. You slowed down. The law says you have to stop. After the third day, the guy said, look, I stopped. This police officer got so mad at him, he grabbed him by the shirt collar and pulled him out, took his billy club and said, bam, 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 bam. Now, you want me to slow down or you want me to stop? <laughs> well, I definitely want him to stop, wouldn't you? If he'd hit me in the head with that thing. Now, then, there was, it, stop. Okay. Now, this is what stop is. I quit hitting you. Slowing down, I stop going bang, 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 and I slow down, bam, 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 bam. But every time he hits you with that club, it hurts. And so that's kind of the way it is. Now, when you fall from grace, you, when, it's the minute you break one of God's spiritual laws, you have failed from grace. When you fall from grace, look at it like this. The roadway to heaven is narrow. And few there are find this pathway. But let's say the path's two feet wide, kind of like this high, about three foot right there, two and a half foot. Let's say that this pathway is two feet wide. Two feet wide is plenty wide enough for anybody to walk on, isn't it? Sure, you can walk on a pathway two foot wide. It's not that difficult. A whole lot harder to walk on a two foot path than it is a 50 foot wide path. So we don't want that 50 foot wide. The 50 foot was down below. The pathway of grace is narrow. And it's two feet. It's elevated up here six or eight feet off the floor. So we come up, we get on this pathway, and we walk and we look down, and there's the world down there. And out in the world, that's the law. And there's snakes crawling around down in there. Those are demons. They're what brought sickness, disease, and everything else upon us. If you're walking along, the enemy will try to entice you to get you to come out there in the world. Come on. He'll have a door over there. He'll have some girl standing in a prostitute place. She'll have that beautiful outfit on. 
she smells good. He lets you smell that oil. Or come on over here, honey. You know, so come on to my house a little while. You know, that's the devil. He's trying everything he can to get you out in the world. He'll do everything he can to get you out there so he can kill you. But God sent him to put us to the test. Isn't that awesome to think that God is putting you and me to the test as we go through life? You know, somebody says, God would never test me. Hey, all you got to do is go back to the Old Testament. And when you find there in the Old Testament, God tested those people over and over and over and over, didn't he? He did. He tested them and he tested them and he tested them. Now, let me tell you what. If you hadn't learned yet, on your little short venture through this world, he's training you to be an overcomer. That's what he's training you to be. He wants you to be an overcomer. He even made such an awesome statement. He said, the Father sent me, and I was an overcomer. So he let me sit with him in his throne. Now, what a reward, huh? The Father let Jesus sit with him in his throne. He said, now, as the Father has sent me, I'm going to send each one of you. You go and do the same things I did. Most of us don't even dream that we can do this. And he says, and to all of you that overcome... Revelations 3.20, all of you that overcome, I will let you sit with me in my throne. Do you want to be an overcomer? Yes. I do. Yes. I don't want to be one of those gray-clad Christians one day. They get to heaven and he says, who are you? I said, God, I'm Thurman Scrivener. <laughs> oh, yeah, your name is written in the book of life way down here. You hadn't done anything for me, so I guess that's why I didn't know your name was there. Okay, you accepted me as Lord and Savior. Actually, as Savior, you didn't ever make me your Lord. So, uh, okay, you're washed in my blood. You didn't do anything for me while you're on earth. You ain't going to get no rewards. But come on in. How would you like to be one of those Christians? When you look at the king and you look at the holes in his hands and his feet and the stripes on his body that he paid so you could be there and you didn't do nothing for him, hey, I don't want to be there. You know, I don't want to be one of those kind of Christians. I want to be one that I've read the Word, studied the Word, walked in obedience to His Word. I walked in that grace. I've passed all my tests or most of them. And one day, one day he says, okay. I've trained you where I want you to be now, and I'm through with you on earth. Bam, come home. Bam. My body falls dead, and I step into the kingdom, and the king sitting there with his arms open saying, Welcome home, son. I've been waiting for you for a long time. Come on in here. Let me put my arms around you. Is that the way you want to be welcome home? Guarantee. <clears throat> That's the way I want to be welcome home. But while I'm down here on this earth, I realize I've got a battle to fight. And through this, the devil's going to come out. He's going to do everything he can against me. And God sends him to do those things because he is training me how to be an overcomer. You know, you'd be worthless if you were trained how to be an overcomer. If you had any, never had any trials and tests, if you didn't have any... Let me go over here. We've got a question back here. If you never had any trials and tests in life, you would, you'd be worthless. You got a question? Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. Um, I, I just have a question about the overcomer thing. Um, 
when you come up against circumstances in your life, maybe some of them you did yourself because you didn't repent of sin, or, mm-hmm. or some of them other people did to you, uh, and you maybe were standing rightly before God, but other, you know, some things are done to you. Um, how does that relate to the overcomer situation? I mean, circumstances and the overcomer. Some are your fault, and some of them are others. Well, you know, what the, <clears throat> you know what the Lord says about that. He says, consider all these various trials and tests, all of them, pure joy. Is that what he said? Consider them all pure joy. Now, whether they were there because of your sin or just because you were being put to the test, anytime something comes upon you, when you learn how to be an overcomer, I mean, just like when God brought, somebody says, Thurman, if I could just, if I could just let somebody see a miracle. Then they'd know, they'd have faith and they wouldn't walk there. I said, that's not true. I said, faith don't come by seeing miracles. It don't come by hearing about miracles. I said, you know, I've had the privilege of walking miracles. And if you sit down and talk with me for a little while, I can talk to you for hours about healings and miracles and things I've seen God do. I said, it won't build your faith. It may bring you to a place to let you know that this is what's available. But you won't have the faith to walk where I do. There ain't no way you can take my stories and come into faith to walk where I do. See, what people do, they listen to my stories and listen to me teach the Word, and they think they've got it. And then they're like this gentleman that came to me the other day. He said, I come to one of your healing schools. He was up here, too, just a few weeks ago. He said, I came to one of your healing schools, and I had glaucoma in my eyes. He said, I took medication every day, several times a day. He said, I come and I heard you teach, and I thought, wow. That's what's available. So he said, you prayed for me? And he said, I think, I don't need this medication. He said, I asked, he asked me, so what should I do with my medication? I said, that's between you and God. Totally. I don't know where your faith walks at. I said, that's between you and God. You ask him. When he tells you to get off of it, you get off of it. But he said, I went to the Lord. I didn't really hear anything. I thought, I'm going to get off my medication. He said, I got off my medication. In three days, my eyes hurt so bad I couldn't stand it. Said I had to go back on the medication. He said, Thurman said, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So I've got to study some more. So he said, I studied intently for a week, night and day. He said, I got it. The promises are mine. Got off the medication. Said I stayed off of it a week. And he said, then my eyes got to bother me so bad I couldn't stand it. I had to go back on it again. This time he said, I studied for five months. He said, I studied intently. Over and over and over. He said, after five months, I said, I got it, God. These promises are mine. He said, I got off the medication. He said, this time I stayed off of it for five months, but said it was not without tremendous pain and suffering. But I stayed with it. I said, finally, he said, I'm studying and reading. This pain is driving me nuts, but I'm not going back on that medication. Now, see what he's doing? Very dangerous. Very dangerous. He could have blinded him. You know, but he's standing. God knows where he's at. I don't know where he's at, but God does. And that's what counts. He said, finally, after about five and a half months, uh, he said, I've been studying the Word now nearly a year. And he said, this time, I said, okay, God, I hadn't been on the medicine in five months. He said, the Word says it's yours today. The promises are for me, and I know they're real, and they can't. Be wrong because you made the promise in your word. He said, it's done. I'm healed. Bam. He said, the pain was gone. I ain't had another pain. He finally come to the point where he really realized it. How long did it take him to get there? Nearly a year. 
How long did it take me to get here? Many years. Thirty. I've been studying the Word like this for about thirty years. I almost have the equivalency of a Ph.D. in Bible. Almost. I ain't there yet. But I'm working. another ten or fifteen or twenty years, I'll probably have a Ph.D. in Bible. You know, or at least with God, I hope. God might say, yeah, you think you're going to have a Ph.D.? And they said, you've got about 50 years left before you have a Ph.D. <laughs> he said, you know, but I am studying it. You know. And my faith is at a new place. Every day my faith is at a new place. You know. And, of course, as your faith increases in God's Word, you will take these promises being led by the Spirit. When you're totally led by the Spirit, these magnificent promises that are in here, <clears throat> you will realize that, Never again am I going to fall from grace. Why? Because I'm not going to break His law. You know, if it says do all things without grumbling and complaining, what do you think He meant? Now, how hard is that going to be? It ain't going to be easy, I'll tell you for sure. You've got to have that Holy Spirit help. You've got to have Him. Without Him, it's impossible without the teacher. Without Him in you, you can't do it. So if you're trying to do it on your own, or you have to be going to a church where they don't believe in the insulting power of the Holy Ghost, you're in trouble. You're not going to be able to walk in this power. I tried it for years and years and years until I got the insulting power of the Holy Spirit. I could not do it. But now I know it's possible with Him. Because without Him as a teacher and a director, you can't do it. But with Him there teaching you, every time you start to do something wrong, if you're walking in obedience to the Word, there'll be something in there to prompt you. Don't do this. Don't go there. You ever had those thoughts? Don't do this. You ever had those? And then what do we do? Sometimes we listen and sometimes we don't, right? Sometimes when we don't, guess what we've just done? We take a little dip from falling from grace. Holy Spirit, don't do that. You know, I mean, you're fixing a grumbling complaint right here. Or you're fixing a lie to your friend here. You're fixing, I told you my word, don't lie. You know? You're fixing to covet that new car. I told you not to covet. I told you to trust me. If you need that new car, I'll pay. I'll get it for you. Oh, but God, I, I, I got one. It's only four years old. Ain't nothing wrong with it. And I'll owe $3,000 on it. But Lord, look at that beautiful red thing. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but it's only 38000 You know, so I put that thirty-eight with that three. You know, that's not much, Lord. Pay but it's only 600 800 a month. For five years, Lord. i got to have it, God. The Holy Spirit say, no, 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 no. You don't need it. And guess what some of us do anyway? We fall from grace. We buy that car. And then three years later, when you ain't got the money to make the payments, you're crying, God, please, Lord, help me. Send somebody by to help me make the payments on this thing. I lost my job. He said, I told you three years ago not to buy that car. You didn't listen and so, sometimes when you try to seek him and get him to help you pay the bill, he don't. And you lose the car. Somebody says, that's not God. Yeah, it was. He told you three years ago when you was going to buy that high dollar bill, you didn't need it. <laughs> you see where I'm coming from? But you didn't listen. It's just like, how many women do I deal with? This guy. I mean, he was the most wonderful man. I mean, he used to take me out. He was so nice to me. I tried to get him to go to church with me. He didn't believe in church things. But I knew I could change him after I married him. 
I mean, I, I know I can change him after I marry him. How many of you women in here know it's impossible to change your husband after you marry him? Yeah, every one of you. Who can change your husband after you marry him? God. That's the only one. God can change your husband. My wife learned that extremely well. Anytime I don't do something, she don't ever give me a hard time. She just walks off and goes and says, hey, Dad, your son's messing up. I trained her too good, you know. Every time I do something wrong, she don't ever say nothing wrong with me. Don't say that nothing bad. She just goes and says, Dad, your son, the one you gave me, he's not doing too well. You know, he's not loving me like he's supposed to. You need to kind of work him over a little bit, Dad, or whatever. But you need to straighten him up. And he does. He does, you know, so the Holy Spirit. But anyway, if you'll walk in the God kind of love and you'll listen to the Spirit, you can walk in the liberty of freedom in Christ. And technically, until you sin, in, just like I did this last week, or actually I didn't just sin this last week, I've obviously been doing this a whole lot for the last two or three or four or five months, because God's merciful. In other words, if I had have not done anything or grumbled and complained about nothing until this week, I wouldn't be sick today. I ain't sick today. I'm having trouble talking. That's what. I am not sick, you know, and I'm grateful that I feel great, feel like a million bucks. I could go do anything I want to do, but I'm having trouble talking. And if you're a teacher teaching God's Word, it's not exactly where you want to be when you can't talk. You, know, you want to be able to have a clear, bold voice that people love to listen to. And that's something else I've asked God to do when He put me in the training mode. I said, Lord, I ask you to put a voice on me, your voice, that when people listen to it, it intrigues them to want to listen more. You know, you got to think about that. I've had people that say, you know, I don't know what it is about your voice. I can listen to you for hours and never get tired. Well, it didn't come without praying and seeking God and asking Him to do it. And that's why He does that. You know, it's amazing to me. I can even go back and listen to my teachings myself and learn from my own teachings. Isn't that amazing? You know, that God can speak out of my mouth and say things, and I'll go back and I'll say, God, where did that come from? I didn't know that. You know, but you do now. You know, and so it's amazing. But I see Him do that. But if you walk in love, walk being led by the Spirit, you have liberty in Christ to do anything you want to do. I made this statement one day, and a woman came to me and said, wait a minute now. If you have liberty in Christ, you have the freedom to do anything, does that mean you have the freedom to sit down and drink a beer if you want to? I said, sure, I do. I just don't want it. It's kind of like a preacher friend of mine. He led a young woman. Actually, he talks about Jesus, and this young woman came up. She says, sir, this Jesus you talk about, he intrigues me. Now, who was dealing with her? The Holy Spirit. He was calling her into the kingdom, but she was a worldly woman. She was a belly dancer, and she made a lot of money belly dancing. You know, naked. You know, have you ever been to one of those places? Uh, I have seen those places. In fact, I had a man that took me and my wife and him and his wife out to dinner down here in Dallas one night to a meeting, and we come back and we stopped at a club where he went quite often. I had no idea what it was. I'd never been in one of those places, and it was a little two-thirds, 99% nude woman dancing around on the I thought, are we in the right place? He said, yeah, I'd like to come here and have a beer on the way home. I said, well, this is not exactly, his wife was with him. 
So they sat down and we sat down and we watched this girl dance a little while. I said, you know, you drank that beer in a hurry because I think we ought to go home. I don't want to be here. And so, but I've been to one. I went to that one. I saw, but my wife was with me that night that I went to that place. I saw this beautiful little girl dancing around up there. I saw guys throwing tens, twenties, fifties, hundred dollar bills up on this platform. She's making good living. Good living, you know. She was enjoying what she's doing. That's what this little girl was. She did that. And she loved what she'd done because she loved the money she made. You know, she said, you know, I'd love to make Jesus Lord of my life. But if I did that, I understand to be a Christian, you can't be a dancer. He said, oh, that's wrong. I said, this guy's smart. Peter told her, said, oh, yeah, you come to Jesus. She's still a lost girl. And Peter told her, yeah, you accept Jesus. You've got to quit all that nonsense. She said, well, forget that. I ain't coming. He said, oh, you... In Christ, you have freedom to do anything you want to do. She said, are you serious? He said, sure. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty and the freedom we have in Christ. Liberty. She said, man, that means I have freedom. Okay, good. I'll make Jesus Lord of my life. <clears throat> so she did. Made Jesus Lord of her life. The next week, she came to church and she walked up to him, looked him right now and said, brother, you're pretty smart. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? She said, after I got saved, now what did she get? The Holy Spirit. She said, the Holy Spirit began to convict me what I was doing was wrong, and he don't want me to dance and show people my body. So she said, I hadn't been able to do that since that day. So now, if you had told me that I couldn't be a dancer when I was still in the world, I'd have just threw you away. She said, I would have never become a Christian. But see, do we have liberty in Christ? Yes, we do. But once we have this liberty and this freedom... When we're led by the Spirit, He'll never cause you to do anything that is contrary to what the Word of God wants you to do. And that's what you've got to learn to walk in. And when you do that, you have a question, sir? Oh, this is in Galatians 5, verses 1 through 5. But when you do, when you do step into sin, He says, you have fallen from grace. Transgression of the law is sin. And, of course, when you're walking down this platform that's six feet off the floor, the snakes can't get to you up there. It's when you step off the path and start grumbling and complaining. That's when they can get you. Serious stuff, isn't it? Or if you step off the path and get into unforgiveness toward one of your brothers and sisters, what's going to come get you? A tormenting spirit. One of them snakes. What can they bring upon you? Cancer, sickness, disease, devastating things, all kinds of stuff. So, if you can ever find a man or a woman that can walk in God's grace 100% of the time, walk in love, walk under his protective covering, this book promises you that no sickness and no disease will ever touch your flesh. Is that an awesome promise? I want to turn with you. I want to show you two places where this is true. Where we are in Galatians, as we're close, turn to the right in 1 John 5. 1 John 5. I want to show you what the Word says. And let's start with verse 14. 1 John 5, 14. 1 John 5:14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we destined or desired of him. That's pretty awesome too, isn't it? Now, if any man, listen to this next one very closely. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death. Okay, now what does that mean? If you see your brother sin a sin that's not unto death, that means there is a sin unto death. And who knows what that is? You don't know what the sin unto death is. So if you sin the sin unto death, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. You're going to die. If any man sees his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life to them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. But you notice he didn't tell you what it was. I do not say that you should pray about it. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. Now, I'm glad, aren't you? Because if there wasn't, all of us would be dead. i got a feeling. But if you sin, sin brings forth death. And that's the thing you've got to realize. And that's why people get sick, get down in wheelchairs, everything else, because you take, you take a woman, like this woman in Louisiana, she was a normal woman until she was about 60. Uh, her husband, she had been married all those years. Uh, she, uh, her husband died, and then she didn't have one no more. And uh, so she just kind of sat at home, nothing to do. And about 63, she was beginning to get down in the wheelchair. And then by the time she's 65, she's totally in that wheelchair. She can't go nothing, do nothing without a wheelchair. Can't walk. And I met her in church. And I asked her, I said, are you married? She said, I was. And I said, how long? She said, until I was about 60. Uh, she said, I got married about 20-something. I was married until I was 60. My husband died. And she said, uh, I've not been married since. I said, were you in good shape then? She said, yes. Perfect health. And I said, uh, well, what's happened? She said, well, I'm just getting old. See, a lot of people think that. Just getting old because she's 65. That's what's putting her in a wheelchair. I said, no, that's not true at all. I said, just some kind of sin in your life that's bringing you into this wheelchair. She said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, what have you done different? I said, ma'am, I just asked you a question. I'd be blunt with you. I said, you know, have you fell in any kind of sexual sin with any kind of man since your husband died? What? She said, I have. I said, what happened? Well, she said about three years ago, I'd be sitting out on the front porch and said, the guy comes by to read the meters. He said, I got to talk to him because I'm lonesome. You know, and said, I finally started inviting him in for a cup of tea. You know, so we'd drink tea and we'd talk for 30 minutes. And I said, then it happened, didn't it? One day you and him wound up in bed together. She said, yes, we did. I said, shortly thereafter, you started getting weaker, didn't you? And she said, yeah, that's right. That's when it happened. I said, so... You've been doing this for the last two years or three years nearly? Yeah, maybe once a month for the last three years. I said, now you're totally confined to a wheelchair. I said, if you keep doing it, it'll kill you and it'll send you to hell. It'll send you to hell because you're breaking God's law. You're living under the law and you're guilty of breaking God's law. She said, I didn't know this. I said, that's what happens to people. They don't know this. I said, if you'll ask God to forgive you, He will. Then He will restore you to that level of grace. Isn't He a mighty God? He restored her. She asked for forgiveness. Made God a promise. God, I won't never have sex with that man again. Never. I didn't realize how bad this was. 
She asked the Lord to forgive her. I reached up and touched her, commanded the spirits to leave her, and for her to be healed in the name of Jesus, according to Mark 16, 17, and 18. I said, ma'am, take my hand and get up. That was an awesome thing. She said, what? I said, well, you believe God? Yes. I said, take my hand. And she stood up and walked out of the wheelchair. Today the woman is still walking. That's been three or four years ago. I was down there two years ago. And I met her. She's still walking totally healed. I said, you haven't stepped back in no kind of sin, have you? She said, I have no, no. She said, there's no way I'm going back into any kind of sin. I had no idea. But, you know, here, maybe we read this promise. God says, don't sin because sin brings forth death. Do we believe that? Well, yeah, we believe it, but we don't believe it like it's written. <clears throat> we think we can get it by as anything. God's Okay. We're his child. We're saved by grace. We can go out and do all we want to. There ain't going to be no consequences. That's not true. <clears throat> It'll bring forth death. Now look what he says here. If you don't commit to sin unto death, verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God. How many of you in here know you're born of God? Amen. How many of you know? If you don't know, if you don't know, you need to know this today. This is the most important thing that you're ever going to see if you don't know Jesus. And you don't, if you're not willing to hold up your hand and say, I know God, you don't know Him very well. You need to know Him. Because He's the one that is paid everything for you, and He's the one that's either going to put you in heaven or put you in hell. It ain't going to be nobody else. It's going to be Him. If you don't know Him, you need to know Him. And you don't need to be ashamed of Him. You know, somebody asks, are you a Christian? Man, you ought to throw up both hands and say, yes, I am. I know Jesus and my Lord and Savior. Look what he said. We know that whosoever is born of God. Read that. What's that say? What? We know that whosoever is born of God does not sin. Hey, wait a minute. How many of you in here that you know you're born again Christians that you know you've sinned since you become a born a child of God? Every one of us. So what's the problem? What does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. I studied this out in detail. Because the first time I read this, you know what I thought? I can't be a child of God. I confess with my mouth, believe in my heart. But I know I fell short many times since then in different ways. I know I've been angry with people. I know I've done things that I shouldn't have done. So God, I mean, I've not been that great big sinner like some people. But still, God doesn't character, categorize sin. Sin is sin. <clears throat> we don't know that whosoever is born of God sin is not. What I found out when I learned that, it says, we do not live in sin. We can sin. But not very often. You're not supposed to. As a child of God, your goal is perfection. You're not supposed to go home tonight and say, Lord, I got, I did this. I, I sped down the freeway today 90 miles an hour. I know I broke the law, so I repented that. Didn't get caught. I lied to my brother. I cheated on my wife today. I told her a couple of things that was wrong. You know, I'm not, I didn't go out sexually sin against her, but I did some things I shouldn't have done to her, so I cheated on her. I lied something, told her. She asked me if I'd done something. I said, no, 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 I didn't do that. But I really did do it. You know, 
So, God knows you're accountable for everything. And He knows everything. So, you, if you're a child of God, you do not intentionally sin. If you're led by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God lives in you, every time you start to sin, to do something, He's there saying, No, don't do that. Any of y'all ever have those feelings like I do? Sometimes he's standing there screaming, got his hands against the door, and I just knock him down and go right on through. I know some of y'all are just like me. You do the same things. But we know that whosoever is born of God sins not, but he that is begotten of God keeps himself from all sin, and the wicked one cannot touch you. Is that what it says? If you don't sin, who cannot touch you? Who is the wicked one? Sure he is, the devil. He can't touch you. Is that good news? So, is it worth trying your best to walk holy before God? In other words, what he's trying to say, if you're a man or a wife or a mother or father, and you've got a child, and you come in and your child's been a perfect little angel all day today, she or he, the son, has done everything you ask him to do, you come in and get the rod out and start beating on your kids? Do you? No. You only discipline them when they've broken every rule in the book, right? Yeah. So right here is the place, if you'll walk in grace and walk in love and do what God says, how many times is the devil going to be able to attack you? None. That's what he said about that young lady. It's worth doing it, right? I don't like it when the devil attacks me. Somebody say... How about you? I'm going to tell you that's what the devil is what done this. You know, God sent him to do this because of my disobedience in some areas. I mean, it's the first time I've had this problem in 20 years. First time I've had this in 20 years. I have never had a problem when I stood before a group of people teaching at healing school in all these years, 10 years teaching at healing school. I've never had a day that I didn't have a good, clear, sharp voice till today. Today's my first one. But, praise God, I learn out of all these experiences. Now I want you to turn back to Psalms 91. We're going to talk just a little bit about Psalms 91. And this is under the law. Even if you're walking under the law, actually, let's go to Psalm 103 first, and then we'll come back to Psalms 91. We'll get a couple places here under the law. Where the Lord shows us now. We were over there under grace a while ago. <clears throat> we're in the New Testament. But in Psalm 103, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. <clears throat> do you see anything right there you're supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Well, what if you don't? You're breaking his spiritual law. And don't come and ask God to do something if you're not willing to do what he says. You say, if he tells you to bless him, what he expects he thinks you to do? Wants you to do? Bless him. Bless his name. And in verse 2, a little more of the same. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That's easy to bless him when you read this benefit package. Bless the Lord. He forgives how many of your sins? I mean, that's got to be an awesome God, huh? And then he heals how many of your diseases? You notice the order. He forgives you first. And then he heals you. Don't come to him and ask him to heal you if you've got a problem, if you're not willing to get rid of your sins. 
You have to get rid of the sin first. Once you get rid of the sin, then you can ask Him to heal your body, and He will do it. Now, I don't know how long it'll take. Sometimes He'll heal you right now, but sometimes it takes a little while. In other words, He'll say, hmm, you were pretty mean for a long time. Yeah, I'm going to forgive your sins, and I'm going to heal you, but I'm going to find out as I heal you little by little, day by day, if you're willing to walk in my word and walk in love with me and stay in faith with me. He'll teach you something. He'll heal you. He can't keep from it. He promised. <clears throat> but he may not do it instantly. It may take a little time. You may have to suffer a little bit. But he'll heal you. And he says, He redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You like that benefit package? Ooh, I love that benefit package. Who renews my youth like the eagles. Wow. I love that. The other day I went up to look at an airplane. I was thinking about buying. I went up to Dave and I flew up to Oklahoma and looked at it. And it was a Mooney. I used to have one years ago, and they're just a fantastic little plane. I love flying them. They're economical, fast. But I hadn't had one in a long, long time. So I heard about this one. I wanted her to look at it. When I got up there, I asked the young man, I said, why is your dad selling the airplane? He said, because dad's old, and he can't get in and out of it no more. I said, how old is he? <clears throat> he said, dad's 60. Here I was, 68, and I'm looking at buying it. I didn't have any problem getting in and out of it. You know the difference between me and his dad? <clears throat> I had spent a whole lot more time with God. And now he had renewed my youth like the eagles. And that's the difference. You know that? I can be grateful that God has revealed himself to me in the Word. So that as I stand on his Word, you know, I, I know. And I claim these promises. Lord, thank you. That you renewed my youth like the eagles. I love it. You know, I just love being able to crawl in and out of those airplanes and do all the things I do and crawl in and out under my cars and trucks and fix them and build buildings and climb up on top of them and everything else. I love it. <clears throat> I love being able to do things that I could do when I was 20. In fact, when I built a ministry center, I had four young men in their 20s working for me. That week, uh, three days that week, uh, it took me a whole week to put the uh, complete structure up. It was only 40 wide, 90 feet long, and it took me a whole week to put the steel up and put all the metal on it and put the doors in it and seal it in. And uh, one of these young men on Friday, he said, Mr. Scrivener, it's kind of hot. Can we stop and take a break for a few minutes? I said, okay, you guys can have 10, 15 minutes. Let's stop and get you a drink of water. And I'm still working around doing things. He said, Mr. Schirmer, you're a ball of fire. <laughs> he said, how in the world do you do this? I said, well, son, if you think I'm something now, you should have seen me when I was 40. I said, you'd have had trouble keeping up with me when you was 40, when I was 40. He said, Mr. Schirmer, I'm 22, and I can't keep up with you now. He said, you could do any better when you were 40. He said, I don't know how you could do this. How can I do this? How do I do this? With God's help. I claim His promises. I stand on them. I quote them. I call the King in remembrance. Thank you, Lord, that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Thank you, Lord, that you renew my youth like the eagles. So, Lord, 
I don't care I may be 68 years in age, but that's nothing. I'm 18 in reality. That's why my wife, she just turned 59. I kidded her the other day. I said, well, all I got to say is, honey, you're 19 years old. She's 59. And she said, yeah, and I'm married to the most vibrant 18-year-old I ever met in my life. I said, boy, one 18-year-old, one 19-year-old together, we got it made, don't we? <laughs> but see, we're learning to claim the promises of God. You know? And if you get that 60-year-old man and you start coming down with some kind of sickness and disease, you start agreeing with that sickness and disease, and you're not putting God first. And do you know why most people are sick today? Because of the first commandment. The very first commandment. Do you know what that says? What is the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. Is that what he said? You're to have no other gods before me, he says. And how many people do you know that have ever God before him? They want to know why at 40, 50, or 60, they're dying or they can't do nothing. Hey, or they want to know, they ain't done nothing for God. They've just lived. Maybe they went to church every Sunday. They were really a great Sunday Christian. Maybe they even tithe. But they never read his word. Never spent any time with him. And all of a sudden they're 40 years old, 50 years old, and they're down on their death. There was terminal cancer. I have seen that over and over. 40, 50-year-old men in church every Sunday tithing. And yet at 40, terminal cancer. I go to God and say, why? Why? He says, I don't know them. They don't have no intimate relationship with me. They've lived in the world with the devil. Well, they come to my church on Sunday. They give me an hour or two on Sunday. But then they're back in their business world Monday through Saturday. They don't know me. He said, so they've lived with the devil. So he said, the devil's killing them. He said, that's why. That's why they're sick. That's why they're going to die. See, the Word says all this. But it's like we don't believe Him. But, now then, let's say that maybe you hadn't. Say you have been a good guy or a good woman. You have been to church. You have studied the Word. And you still got sickness in the gaze. You think, how's this happen? Well, turn to Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to show you. This is something the Lord just hit me. I looked up at the time and I thought, I've got to cover this before the day is over. Galatians 3. I want to show you why lots of people are sick. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3.13. Yeah, yeah. Galatians 3.13. Now, what if, what if you're sick and afflicted and you've been a Christian? You're making Jesus Lord of your life. You're going to church every time the doors open. You're there. You're reading the Word every day. You're praising and worshiping God and you're still sick. Is it possible for you to be sick because of somebody else's sin? Yes. 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 You can be sick because of somebody else's sin. Maybe it was your mother. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was your grandmother. Maybe it was your granddad. Maybe it was your great-grandmother. Your great-granddad. Unless you had somebody in your family born out of wedlock. Now then, if you happen to be born out of wedlock, you're cursed for ten generations. That's not good news, is it? 
So how many people do you think in life can go back ten generations in their family and have nobody born out of wedlock in the family? Impossible. Impossible. Sex is too powerful. The, mo- the most driving thing in a man and woman's life is sexual desire. Almost today, almost nobody. Almost nobody. You don't run into a handful of people that get 25 that's still a virgin. If, you know, it's just not hardly there. It, it's, it's, it's a sin that we just got to where we accept. But every time you do it, it puts you under a curse. And if you have a child out of wedlock, it puts you and, and the woman under a curse and the child and everybody in the family line down that family line for ten generations into the future under a curse. Somebody says, well, is there any hope? Yeah. The answer is right here in Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Is that good news? Yes. If Christ redeemed you from the curse of the law, He being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Well, it's good news that the blessings of Abraham, now then most people have no, have no clue what the blessings of Abraham are, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. How do you receive anything in the kingdom? Through faith in God's Word. But somebody says, well, I'm redeemed from the curse. What does it mean to be redeemed? He paid the price you couldn't pay. He paid the price you couldn't pay. So let's say you've got some kind of sickness disease, or like this family that came to me here a while back. Four little girls and mama had a gluten problem. They couldn't eat wheat. If you eat anything wheat, you begin to bleed internally, and you would pass blood for a month, two months. You take one bite of wheat bread, and you start bleeding internally if you have a gluten problem. How many of you know that's not exactly a very good thing to have? What it was, a demon. I explained it to them. When they came to me, it's been a year and a half or two years ago, this family came to me. Three of the four little girls had the problem, and the mother had it. And I explained to them, all the little girls were 10, 12 years old, right down the stair step. <clears throat> I said, children and mama, daddy didn't have the problem. I said, let me show you what the answer is. I said, Christ has redeemed you from the curse. This is a curse that come upon you because of somebody in your ancestor's line sinned. I don't know what the sin was, but I said, there's a sin. And if